Here is the latest Higher Summits forecast brought to you by our friends at the Mount Washington Observatory. Weather above treeline in the White Mountains is often wildly different than at our trailheads. Before you hike, check the Higher Summits forecast at mountwashington.org. Weather observers working at the nonprofit Mount Washington Observatory write this elevation-based forecast every morning and afternoon. Search and rescue teams, avalanche experts, and backcountry guides all rely on the Higher Summits forecast to anticipate weather conditions above treeline. You should too. Go to mountwashington.org or text FORECAST to 603 356 2137. Okay, here is your forecast for Friday, January 26th, and Saturday, January 27th. Friday, mostly in the clouds under mostly cloudy skies with freezing rain, sleet, and snow. Additional snow accumulations of one to three inches possible ice accumulations from freezing rain of a trace to a tenth of an inch high will be around 30 degrees with winds southwest shifting west at 15 to 30 miles per hour increasing to 40 ooh, 25 to 40 miles per hour with gusts up to 50 miles per hour the wind chill will be rising to 10 to 20 above friday night In the clouds with snow transitioning to snow showers, additional snow accumulations of a trace to two inches. With a low in the lower 20s, winds will be west at 25 to 40 miles per hour, decreasing to 10 to 25 miles per hour. The wind chill falling to 0 to 10 above. And Saturday... In the clouds, with snow likely early, tapering to snow showers during the afternoon. Additional snow accumulations of a trace to two inches, with a high in the lower 20s. Winds will be southwest at 10 to 25 miles per hour, switching to the west at 20 to 35 midday, and switching to the northwest and increasing to 25 to 40 miles per hour late. The wind chill will be five below to five above. So have a great weekend, everybody, and uh, crush some peaks. From the Woodpecker Studio in the great state of New Hampshire, welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast, where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stump.
All right, Stomp, episode 137. You ready to go? Let's go. Cranking them out. All right. All right, cranking them out. I was just doing some research on the AMC huts. I'm going to be staying over at a hut. Oh, winter? Yeah, I'm going to do a Zealand um, stay if you okay. want to join me. I'll send you all the details. But yeah, I'm going to like, I changed my mind about doing the Z-Bond Traverse. I'm just going to do an overnight. Okay, what are you thinking? Uh, I don't know. i got to figure it out probably like sometime in February, like second half of February. Although February is very, very short month. Huh. Now, what what uh, made you choose Zealand over, say, uh, Carter or Lonesome Lake? Well, because I need to finish my 4,000-footer list for the winter. So okay. all I have left is just like I've got heel and then I've got the, the Zealands and the Bond. So originally oh. I was like, well, I'll just do a super traverse and hit heel and then Zealand and then do the Bonds in one day. And I got a couple of friends that want to do it with me, but they're... I was thinking like when we went out to Owl's Head, I was like, well, this is a long day. <laughs> um, I think my friends were all sort of thinking the same thing and they were like, hey, you know, we could stay at the AMC Hut and and break it up a little bit. And I was like, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, yeah. So I'll keep you updated. Okay, cool. I'll keep you updated, but... Keep me up to date. Yep. Yeah. I'll give sounds a review. Good. I've never done the AMC Hut, so I've done a, you know the Randolph Mountain. I've done Gray Knob and Crag and those ones, but not not uh, the AMC. So it should be good. Gotcha. Are you planning on doing illicit drugs and getting on top of the roof? I'm getting on the roof. I'm going to yeah. drop acid and get on the roof <laughs> naked and scream at people. <laughs> I'm definitely Drag going. That I'll be there. I get to see this. Oh my god! I would have loved to have seen that. We always joke whenever we travel. We're at the airport. We're always on the lookout. Like my phone is ready to go. I'm like, well, I want one of those like viral moments where someone goes crazy and I'm the one that tapes it and like you know. So, but it never happens. Everybody's normal. But that one was notorious. Like everybody oh, talks about that one. Oh, my favorite story: the naked acid tripping hiker. Slashers Beer Review. So, Stomp, I got a couple of gear updates here. So, my ah. my uh, my daughter's boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Okay, he um, he got me these hand warmers. They're electric hand warmers. Okay. So see these things? They look like little like computer mouses, but they're smaller. And oh, I see. Got, I got you. They've got three levels. So I just turned one on. See that little red light right there? Got it. Now that is pretty small. Yep. And then you can turn it up to like three red lights. So that's right directly connected to the... Oh, those are hand warmers themselves. These, I see. These okay. are hand warmers themselves. So essentially okay. like you can you plug it into a USB... Wow. And then it charges, and supposedly it does like eight or twelve hours or something like that. Like I got it on the highest level, and immediately yeah. it's just hot. That immediately, would be like comparable. almost to the point where I can't even hold it. Wow, that's great! Yeah, so quick, quick startup as opposed to the um, typical chemical hand warmers. Exactly. So I mean, yeah. they're, they're not light. You know, yeah. they're pretty heavy. Um, I don't know. Like this is probably about a pound or so. I'll have oh, to weigh wow. them on my little scale. Maybe a little less than a pound, but that's um, really interesting. But I'm thinking, like you know, throw this in with my phone and and keep it going, oh. or you know, have it available in case you know you need a quick a quick hit with uh, with your hands. Because I mean, certainly met plenty of times where I've had my hands have gotten super cold and it's taken a while to warm up. 
Right, right. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it lasts about the same time as the chemicals. Yeah, the chemicals. So it's, yeah. uh, you know, they're not light for sure, but it's, it's. I found, I thought it was interesting and I, I was like, I appreciated the gift, so I'm going to use them. Yeah, that's clever. And uh, what kind of, uh, back to the, what kind of uh, port? It's only good for what? Uh, an Apple? Or do they have interchangeable connectors? It's a, no, it's not even, it's not an Apple. It's like a standard, USB. like, um, yeah, it's like a standard USB. So it comes with the power cord and you, you just have to get like the, you do need one of these like bricks to plug it in. Gotcha. But you can plug it into a computer too. Okay. And uh, I don't know how long it takes to charge, but they came pretty pretty well charged. So we're awesome. trying. Very cool. Um, and then the other thing I want to give the listeners a heads up on a piece of gear that our friend Jakester sent me over. So there's this company that uh, they are called, let me just see here. We don't have any affiliation with them or anything like that. They're not advertisers, but it's called Norhex Gear. And they, it looks like they sell... It's pretty cool. It's like Portland, Oregon, and they sell gear for inhumane terrain. So they have like these like um, canyon rope bags. They have otter pocket chest packs. They have um, like a canyon pack that looks like it's made out of uh, the same material as like Hyperlite Mountain. And they have this thing called the Scooty Booty 2.0. <laughs> Scooty Booty. Okay, what is this? A, a butt sledding device? It's a butt sledding device, so ah. it's like a it's 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 sort of like a climber's harness. So it, it's it's a pair of shorts okay. that sort of wrap around your uh, your thighs and your waist, and you tie it around. And it's made of this material that oh wow um, yeah, it's the alpine version of our Scooty booty, and it clips around the waist and legs, and it'll smooth out glissades while protecting your climbing pants. So huh. it's faster to transition than with rain pants. And you don't have to waste garbage bags. So they said it's extremely durable, vinyl-coated PVC construction. Um, and it takes, you know, it takes some serious abuse. Six ounces. Yeah, that's And not bad. it comes in um, pink and black, it looks like. Wow. <laughs> oh, no, it actually comes in all kinds of different colors. So it's called Scooty Booty 2.0. Huh. Love it. That's and I don't know why idea. whenever I say it, I have to say Scooty Booty. <laughs> I don't, instead of saying Scooty Booty, I say Scooty Booty. Scooty Booty. So yes. All right, I gotta look at a little closer at this here for two seconds. Huh. Okay, it's all good. That's that's really clever. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. All right. So that's the gear stuff. Electric right, hand cool. warmers and the Scooty Booty. So welcome to episode one thirty seven <laughs> of the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. This week we are joined by. Carrie Uhlendorf, who is the owner of Sherpa Ant, an online retailer that offers a variety of creative Northeast Mountain-inspired illustrations, illustrations, cards, apparels, and gifts. Um, so Stomp's got a, cu- a couple of products from um, from Sherpa Ant and loves it. So he was he recommended we we talk to her. So she's great. So mm-hmm. um, Sherpa Ant's mission is to help outdoor enthusiasts uh, pursue and share their passions while giving back to the community. So in addition to um, her work at Sherpa Ant. She's also a prolific hiker, having grown up in or in and around the Northeast. So we'll talk to her about some of her favorite areas in the White Mountains. Um, she's also completed 
the Appalachian Trail and the Pacific Crest Trail. So we'll ask her to give a little bit of insight about what's going, um, you know, a little bit of the inside the mind of a through hiker. You know, we've got the, the, the through hiker classes that are heading out soon enough. So we'll talk to her a little bit about that. And then on this episode, we'll also discuss the recent hiker fatality along the Pemi Loop route. Um, there's an attempt to change the name of Mount Washington that's been denied. Plus, we've got uh, search and rescue news with um, a couple of local stories. Three hikers got in trouble in Mount Monadnock, and then we had a group of skiers get lost out of bounds in Killington. So hmm. plenty to cover today. Um, so I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. Let's get started. Uh, we're going to get started by going into our friend, the Hiking Buddy spot here. This is Ben Pease from Hiking Buddies. We are a 501c3 nonprofit committed to reducing avoidable tragedies through education, impactful projects, and fostering a community of support. You can find out more at hikingbuddies.org. We wanted to say thank you to those who have supported our mission, and most importantly, say thanks to those who speak up, who ask questions, and who are willing to provide guidance and assistance on the trails when needed. You embody what it means to be a hiking buddy. And now, for all my newer hikers out there, here's this episode's Hiking Buddies Quick Tip. It's imperative to always check the weather the day before and on the morning of your hike to be aware of any changes or storm systems that may have moved in. The weather can and will change in an instant. Always be prepared. Slasher's Hiking Topic of the Week. And we're back, Stomp. Hey, another great tip from the HBs. That's right, that's right. So, all right, Stomp, you, so we're going we're gonna to take a somber note on the episode right now. Are you, are you, are you prepared? Yeah, I know you, yeah. Yeah, I know this isn't going to be easy. So we're going to talk about um, Christopher Roma um, was a, a local hiker. He was a, a guide in the White Mountains. And unfortunately, he, he died while hiking um, on Tuesday into Wednesday last week. Mm-hmm. So um, it was a, a pretty extended search and rescue situation. So we want to talk through the uh, the details of the case and then uh, we'll talk a little bit about this you know it's tough to make sense out of these things uh, this mm-hmm. is an interesting one from the perspective that like you know it's a very experienced well knowledgeable hiker that um, that un- unfortunately succumbed to the um, the hike so just to get into the details here stomp um, Christopher Roma is the the gentleman that we're talking about. So around at 10.20 p.m. on Tuesday, January 16th, uh, New Hampshire Fishing Game Conservation Officers were made aware of a hiker in distress near Mount Bond in Lincoln. 
Yep. Concerned acquaintances had contacted New Hampshire 911 after speaking with the hiker by cell phone. A solo male hiker was thought to be in the area of Mount Bond and that he might be moving towards Bond Cliff. Um, eventually, the hiker made contact with New Hampshire 911 and coordinates were obtained that placed the hiker between Mount Bond and Mount Guillot. Um, before the call was lost, the hiker stated he was very cold. The weather forecast for the area was for heavy winds, temperatures in the single digits, and snow. Well, and I would add to that, you know, the wind chill was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. And it's a tricky area, so you've got, you know, I think about this area and I'm like, all right, well, Bond to Bond Cliff, yeah, there's a little bit of cover as you come down, but then, you know, you're pretty well exposed. Mm-hmm. The section between West Bond up to Bond is pretty well covered. And then, sure. you know, as you get that section on the, I don't know if that continues to be the twin way or like you go past the, the spur trail down to the um, Guillot campsite out to Mount Bond, Mount, out to Mount Guillot, that's about a mile yeah. there. So then you're talking um, really exposed. So that's that's the... South Twin over to Guillot is like really the the area that's mm. got a lot of exposure as you head over to Bond. But sure, sure. Um, but anyway, so a rescue effort commenced, and the the rescuer. So we're talking about ten ten thirty at night. Friends called, then um, Christopher called. They were able to mobilize um, a rescue operation involving fishing game, Pemi Valley Search and Rescue, um, and Mountain Rescue. Um, they all met at Lincoln Woods, and by 2 a.m. on on January 17th, so we're on to the next day, we're in a Wednesday early morning, uh, the first rescue was started in, um, and the rescue effort was slowed as the responders had to trudge through waist-deep snow. So if they're coming in from Lincoln Woods, I'm assuming they probably got some sort of vehicle uh, to assist them to get out to at least the, the wilderness area or maybe a little bit farther. Yeah. And then um, they've got to make their way up. It's, I'm assuming they went up through Bond Cliff and then made their way that way. My guess is that some people maybe started coming in from Zealand as well. Doesn't say in the news reports. Um, unfortunately, the the waist deep snow and um, the rescue is being exposed above tree line with heavy winds and blowing snow. It was it was quickly realized that the the progress was going to be slow so they made contact with uh, New Hampshire Army National Guard to attempt a helicopter extraction of the hiker um the rest of this I'm paraphrasing from the the news reports but essentially throughout the day the rescue teams attempted to locate Christopher efforts by the New Hampshire Army National Guard um for helicopter extractions were made difficult because of low level clouds Ultimately, a team of rescuers were able to locate Christopher at 5 p.m. on Wednesday, but sadly, he was deceased. So, essentially, you're talking like from 10 o'clock until 5 o'clock the next day, you're talking about 20 hours or so, uh, maybe 21 hours. And and due to the conditions after they did find him um, in the time of the day and the daunting distance of a carryout, um, a decision was made to wait until the following day for a window of weather that would allow for a helicopter extraction early on Thursday morning. So from what's reported, it looks like the helicopter crew was able to, you know, they were able to get down there on Thursday, land and and, and, and uh, bring Chris back to his, you know, his family. But they, they did have to deal with high winds before settling down. So even Thursday, it was difficult weather conditions in the morning. So... Yeah. Um, sad story, Stomp. Um, 
I figured we could talk about what we know, what we don't know here because. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about the terrain. I think we can go back to that safely. Uh, we want to be really respectful here. Uh, this is the weekend of his um, celebration of life. As many people know, there's a fundraiser that's ongoing and um, he leaves behind a young one. Um, so it's, it's, it's a delicate discussion, uh, but I think we can do it some justice here. But um, that, that area is really uh, pretty incredible in terms of the weather it receives, just in general, Mike. Uh, every time I've been through the Geo section where it connects from the tent site to the junction to Zealand and off to the Twinway, it's always getting just blasted by wind. It's a large, open, flat, plateau-ish area almost so you can imagine what it would have been like uh, on this day uh, with the snow and uh, the wind and whatnot so salt twin to bond cliff is a four mile section i think it's about a mile or so from salt twin to get over to guillot and then another mile to get to uh bond cliff and then another mile to, oh, to get to bond and then another mile to get down to bond cliff so yeah um it seems like not that much of a distance but it really is a number of areas where you're completely exposed and i would assume that you know when wind's coming in you know i was up there last winter and we were on south twin and we talked to a guy that came up from zealand and he was cutting over to south twin and, and you could see like he even said he's like you know trails just blowing in right behind you and it wasn't that bad of a day yeah, but yeah. the wind was enough and he was like yeah the, you can't follow your tracks back because the wind is just covering them up immediately so right. that's essentially what you're dealing with so if he if he made his way to mount bond and he was hit, started to head down to bond cliff and that's where he started not feeling great yeah. and he's trying to backtrack and he's trying to figure out like do i bail out and go to Geout campsite or am i trying to get back into the twinway and get down to zealand hut we don't know but I mean, that's yeah, assume don't. that's assuming what happened, and then once you get past that little area of where Guillot campsite and West Bond is, you're back into that exposed area. So if he was trying to get back into that area by Guillot, it's it's just daunting in those those it's, conditions. Uh, it's an interesting place. I always found it very confusing, um, even in good weather. Um, I've been there several times, so I, I know the basic layout now. But if you are going to this area, you really need to get a firm understanding of how the the junctions work, where they are, because uh, it is it's a, it's a somewhat confusing area, and it's not evident where you need to go at times, especially if you're socked in uh, or in uh, you know low visibility uh, in general. Yeah, and I think the um, you know the twinway cuts off right before. You get to um, Guillaume Shelter, but it's like a. It, you're right; it's not obvious. Like there's a weird. It's sort of like where the Jewel Trail and the Great Gulf Trail and that area. Like it's just confusing a little bit. Like there's. Mm. Well, it's a hard right right angle. There's rock cairns. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like a, there's rock cairns, and then it's not obvious all the time. And I can imagine like it's an exposed area. So if the wind's yeah. whipping, then you know you're not necessarily going to be able to see that well. Yeah. Now. I, Going back to what you had mentioned about um, you know being out there exposed for any length of time, I think that's a nice area to talk about being prepared for the weight, you know, and making sure you have everything with you that you need to 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 manage in those kinds of uh, low temperature, uh, full condition uh, circumstances. It's super important. Yeah, and it's tough. You know, we don't know what he he did or didn't have for gear. He might very yeah. well might have had all the gear he needed, and it's just 
you know, there's, there's things you can't control for. But ultimately, like if you look at this situation, you've got, you know, a call that comes in at 10 o'clock on Tuesday night. You've got the, you know, rescue team is out there, but they were able to f- locate him at five o'clock. So you're talking 20 hours. I always say like, okay, well, you need enough gear where you can hunker down for 12 hours for a rescue team to come. 12 hours, may, depending on where you're going, like if you're going to be out in the Pemi wilderness, like it may be better to say, I need I need enough gear to sort of hunker down for 24 hours. And I think what you need to be able to do in that situation is first, you have to have the gear. Second of all, you know, if you've got snowshoes, you sort of pat down your area. You find a an area that, you know, is a little bit sheltered from the wind. You sort of pat down your area with your snowshoes so you've got a nice flat ground Make sure you've got some cover, and then from there you got your sleeping pad that you lay down. Then you'll get your bivy. You know, ideally you could even put your sleeping pad inside your bivy, and then you've got a sleeping bag as well. And then hopefully, if you've yeah. got hand warmers or you've got hot liquids or you got anything like that, it's essentially like those are the things that you need in this situation to hunker down um, yeah. to wait it out for a rescue. Um, and again, we don't know what he did or didn't have, and you know right. we're not judging. From- this is not this is not meant to be speculation. I think we've yep. tried to just veer towards education in general over the last few years, and um, uh, regardless of what his situation was, I think it's just appropriate to talk about these basic safety things again and reinforce them. Not knowing what happened to him, no, nobody knows. Certainly yeah, not us yeah, anyway. So- but it's that's sort of the mantra that you need to look at is you, you have to say like, okay, if I'm going to be out there, I've, I need enough. Um, I, I have to be able to sort of wait it out and survive because it can take a long time to get get somebody out there. And, you know, a couple of other pieces of information we do have. Um, so Chris is an experienced hiker. So this is different than, you know, the situation we had um, with some previous hikers where it was really an issue of they probably didn't know any better than um, – to, and they didn't sort of have that voice in their head around like, okay, this is where things could go difficult. Chris had done the Triple Crown, so he's done all the long distance through hiking. He's done a solo deratissima, which is basically hiking all of the 4,000-footers continuously, and, and he did it in 10 days. He's completed the Northeast 8, which is a series of ultra-hiking trails, which include the Mahusik Traverse, the Pemi Loop, the Presidential Traverse. Uh, so Triple Crowner, you know, he worked as a local guide in and around the White Mountains. So by any measure, his hiking background and experience was significant. Probably got more right. miles than both of us combined, Stomp. Yeah, no um, doubt about it. So he was experienced. He was seasoned. Absolutely. So, I yeah. mean, and it's a good reminder that, you know, these things can happen. Things can go sideways even, you know, even to the, the strongest hikers. And, you know, the other tidbit on this is so the news reports did indicate that he had set out with two other hikers to attempt a winter Pemi loop. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that that's pretty solid that that was the route that he was taking. I'm assuming they came in and they were doing it uh, clockwise and he came in from, uh, you know, Osseo and, and came over Franconia Ridge. I mean, that section from North Lafayette down into Garfield and back up to Garfield has to be brutal. I'm assuming that, you know, they worked their their butts off uh, to get through there. And then at some point they made a decision. Some of the, some of the members of the crew decided they were going to head out and, and this hiker decided to push on solo. Um, you know, mm. no details on the background there, but, um, yeah, you know, unfortunately they, um, you know, there are a number of bailout spots, but I think it does get tricky once you get up to 
South Twin, like, yeah, you can bail out. Like, essentially, like, Gale River's a good bailout section there. But once you get up to South Twin, it gets difficult because you've got a long way out, either, no matter what you do. So if you bail out down into North Twin, if you bail out into um, Zealand, if you just try to get down into Guillaume Campground, like, like it's, four plus. it's not a lot of, yeah, it's a yeah. long hike. Yeah, four plus any direction, yeah. for sure. Hmm. Yeah, so... I mean, we're here again, you know, we're trying to process a tragedy. Um, We're trying to judge what went wrong without being judgmental. Um, You know, I I hear about these things and I think about these things stop and I try to assure myself like, okay, this couldn't happen to us, but you never know that it can happen to anybody. And, you know, you try to understand these sort of small decisions that might have been made. Um, But it's tough to know. No one's going to know because they weren't with him and... You know, sometimes, you know, the mountains just have their way of, you know, it could be that no matter how prepared you were, those conditions just were so unique to that area that it was, it's just not survivable. Right, right. Just anecdotally, um, I'm amazed at how many people knew of Chris throughout Mm -hmm. the community. Um, Even coworkers that I guide with on the snowmobiles uh, were best buds. Um, Like literally every aspect of my life locally here i've met somebody that knows him or is like very very close to him yeah yeah so our thoughts and prayers are with the family um there is a a gofundme account that has been uh, we've shared it across our socials and i think that you know he's got a young child that he left behind so if you can find it in your heart to to give a donation i think that that would be cool and you know i'm sure that there's a lot more analysis that that people want to get into on this i don't know how um beneficial that is at this point i think ultimately like our 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 advice when it comes to safe hiking especially in the winter is pretty consistent and you know it's it's keeping the keeping the amount of gear that you possibly can keep to um you know wait out for a rescue safely and and relatively comfortable you're never going to be super comfortable but you know, just have that gear with you. And mm-hmm. even then, there's no guarantees. There's no guarantees in life. The mountains don't care about, um, you know, how well prepared you are, how not prepared you are. Like, they're going to do their thing. And unfortunately, the these things do happen. Yeah, they do. Yeah. But, um, so. I mean, more power to you, you know. He was a goal, get, goal getter, goal crusher, fastest known time crusher. And that's what it's all about, you know. Yeah, yeah. And that's the other thing, too, is people need to understand, like, so, you know, we talk about safety, but the, also the other the other piece of this is that there's a lot of people that are out there, and they're doing amazing things, and they're doing yeah, these ultras, sure. and they're, you know, that 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 drive to to go out there is, is something that's needed, you know, there's a balance in things, like, you know, there's, right. a, there's a balance in, in everything, and you do need these ultra folks to be out there. Um, achieving new goals to help aspire, inspire people. So, uh, and he certainly did that. I mean, this mm-hmm. just reading about like the the Northeast Eight and the Deratissima and all that he's accomplished. Like it's, yeah, he lived a life, no doubt about it. Yeah, yeah, world class yeah. athlete. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe we'll talk about this again, Stomp. But I definitely got a number of people that reached out and were asking us like, "Are we going to address it?" And I, you know, I think eh. it's it's good to talk about it. And I think the takeaway again is sort of. It's that twenty-hour period where, you know, you've got to be, you've got to hopefully have everything that you need to have with you to, to hunker down. Yeah, agreed. And yeah, I mean, we'll come no back to it some other time, but yeah. 
So yeah, um, rest in peace, Chris. And um, I'm planning on going to that event if you're around, Mike. If not, that's fine. I, I, a lot of people are going, so I think it'd be nice yeah. to support the community. Yeah, 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 and that's the other yeah. thing too. Is like it's a, like you said, it's just a small world. Everybody knows everyone, and like mm. since we started doing this podcast, like it's really hit home. Like how how small of a network it is. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. All right, stop. So All moving right. on, um, the Board of Geographic Names has denied a request to change Mount Washington's name to Agi Agio Agio Cochoc. What you have to re-listen to our uh, episode. On Algonquin and whatnot. <laughs> I know. I remember talking about it. So, Agia Kachok. I think it's Agio Kochok. Agio Kochok. Okay. Agio Kochok. Okay. So, I'm going to do Washington. this again. Board of Geographic Names has denied a request to change <laughs> Mount Washington's name to Agia Kochok. Perfect. <laughs> Probably not, but whatever. Uh, all right. So, then other people will argue that, like, um, the the phrasing of this should be changed the name back to so uh, there's a debate there's a little yep. bit of back and forth online about like okay people were saying like look the name was originally Agia Kachok <laughs> and um, it was then renamed Mount Washington so history's complicated and mm-hmm. um, just to start off with so people are aware there is a uh, there's a part of Mount Washington that is officially named in the bu- uh, Bureau of um, Oh, the geographic uh, names uh, database that is Agia Chuck Crag, and it, this is a it's a lower section. Matter of fact, I hung out here and had lunch here one time, and it's a pretty cool area. It's located between the Auto Road and Nelson Crag Trail. So when you get, you know, that section stomp where you you take that you basically take a um, a hard like 90 degree turn off of the the road that travels along the great gulf and you head up to that flat section yes yeah so that the very be- at the end of the hill and at the very beginning of that flattish section mm-hmm. um if you keep going straight there's nelson crag trail which is essentially like a flat trail so if you go to the left of that there's like a little um a small crag or a summit it's probably like I don't know, 30 feet tall, and it's a flat area. You can just chill out and eat your lunch. Mm-hmm. I've hung out there before. It's pretty cool. You can see the Great Gulf, and then you can see down into like um, like Huntington Ravine and stuff. It's a cool area. Yeah, it is. So, so that was named so, in 2011. So there is a section of Mount Washington that uses this name. Gotcha. Okay. Um. So, just so that the listeners know, so Mount Washington was named in 1784 originally, but just the, the on the geographic names database, there are a lot of past names. So, there's two, there's actually three spellings of a, a Agia Chuck. There's a, um, a name reference. There's a couple of different spellings of um, Kodak Wajo, which is another native name. Um, it was called Sugarloaf. It was called Shooter's Hill. It was called hmm. Twinkling Mountain of Agosisco. It was called three or four different versions of Wombeket Methna and then Wombek. Not Wombek that we know with the B-E-K, but Wombek with the B-I-K. 
And then it was also referenced as the White Hill. So over history, it's had a number of different names. And um, we're going to talk a little bit about map making with uh, with our guest this week. And then, you know, one mm. of the things about map making is that people just like, over time, they had different spellings and, and features just evolve. So that's why you'll have like three different versions of Wombeck that are spelled three different ways. Yeah. This is a very oh. interesting article. It's pretty in-depth. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so just a reminder on uh, place names, particularly when it comes to Native Americans. So, many of the names used by Native Americans um, may not actually be, you know, the the names that we use. And I'm going to use like Amanusik as an example in a minute. Many of the names used by Native or, or labeled as place names that are Native American origin may not be the place names in the way that we typically think of place names. So in our in our culture, we sort of think of like, okay, we're going to name a specific place with a specific name, record that name, and then reference that place as that name for all time forever. Native Americans had a little bit of a different approach where many of the names um, were applied to... S- specific locations by settlers who learned those names from the natives. But a lot of times what would happen is that the words were descriptive labels. So Yamanusik is, a, is an example of a word that is, it, it means fish place. And um, it could simply just be that at the time when the settlers were talk, you know, talking to the natives or they learned about the natives, they w- the natives were refer- referencing a particular place that was good for fishing and then the settlers took that word and said, like, okay, we're going to use Amanusik to apply it to a specific river. Whereas mm-hmm. the native might have just said, like, there could be 10 Amanusiks in their world where it's just right. a good fishing place. Yeah. Um, and koas is another example. That's a word that means pines. Mm-hmm. So it could mean any any stretch of woods with with pines on it. Um, and then Andersrogen is another one that is, is called fish curing place. So that's mm-hmm. where they would sort of like lay their fish out to dry. Um, so you could have many different Andersrogens in the, in the Native American's world, but essentially like the settlers learned those words and then applied them to a one specific place. Yeah. So I, I suspect with Igeachuk that um, they... When when Darby Field first went in 1642, I think it was like he, he referenced it and said that the mountain was known named as Agiachuk, but it's very likely that what the what what this really meant is that all of those high summits that we now know as the Presidential Range were very likely referenced as a spiritual place, in that it may not necessarily have been like that one specific peak. Because mm-hmm. I don't know if they if they didn't go up there, they wouldn't know. Maybe I don't even know if you can differentiate that there's one particular summit depending on where they they looked. True, true. So it's interesting, um, but I think the the other issue with this is that the there's a there's a political aspect to this as well. I think that there's probably difficulty in like the amount of money that it would cost to rename and and redo all of the. Um, the signage and everything like that. The decision was made to deny it. They did recommend that you could use it in in a, alongside with Mount Washington as a um, as a way to honor it. And I feel like a ton of hikers. I mean, it's very mm-hmm. common for hikers to reference it as a guia. Not me, obviously, because I can't even say it. But you always do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I put some time into that uh, that one episode. There, it was very interesting. Um, I I want to go back to 
the back and forth here. I mean, she cites historical harms done to uh, the tribes and whatnot, slave owners, that type of thing. And then the rebuttal came back by eight commissioners uh, for the state. Uh, the executive director of Fish and Game uh, drafted letters of opposition for changing the name of Mount Washington and the Baker River. Uh, they included multiple departments in the state, including environmental services, et cetera, et cetera, health and human services. But this is interesting. Some claimed the name change would increase danger in search and rescue missions and loss of tourism res- revenue, um, which the yeah. – Yeah, that's sort of interesting. Yeah, I mean, if they start like – so just step back for a second. So just the history on the name, first of all. So – 1784, um, there was a uh, expedition that, so Darby Field in the 1600s was the first one to climb it, but in 1784, Manessa Cutler and Jeremy Belknap, we've talked about them, they basically came in from Pinkham Notch, um, Cutler climbed it, they summited in one day, and then um, apparently they, they named it Mount Washington at that point. The early writings of that is 1784 expedition. They just called it like the White Hill or Sugarloaf. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in 1792, they did write. Um, they wrote a, I guess, a, a summary of their trip, and they they named it Mount Washington at that point. So Mount Washington was named in officially 1792. It started appearing in maps and books. In right. 1820, there was another party that was guided by Ethan Crawford to the range. Um, where they 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 named the remaining summit. So the members of that party, um, Adino Brackett, John Weeks, which you know you've got the Weeks Mountains um, up in uh, the Northern White Mountains, and then you've got um, Philip Carrigan. So he obviously mm-hmm. Mount Carrigan, I think, is named after him. They named Monroe, Jefferson, Adams, Madison, and Franklin as they went across. So they did like a sounds like they did a presidential traverse type of deal and they named all the summits so that's how the presidential range came to be mm-hmm. now going back to the sort of the points that new hampshire had made uh there is currently a the board of geographic names is responsible for fielding requests like you see that we received in new hampshire around like mount washington being Changed. Wait a minute. Let's stop for a second. So this is yeah. the federal board that the Biden administration set up, correct? This is a separate board called the Reconciliation and Place Names Committee, which was set up based on like presidential, you know, he basically said, we're going to create this new board right. that is going to be an advisory to the geographic um the Board of Geographic Names. And essentially what this board has done is set up a bunch of different criteria around derogatory place names. Right, and right. right now what they're doing is they're identifying specific war words that are derogatory. So squaw is a good example. Um, sure, there's sure. Like, uh, there's other like wild, you know, anything that says wild in a name, like there's a wild Chinaman gulch. I remember so talking take about a look this. At, yeah, we talked about it before. So essentially, yeah. they have a whole list of um, words that are offensive. And some of them are racist words and things like that, and they, they make sense. So they're working on going to the Board of Geographic Names and saying, like, okay, we've identified these derogatory words that cannot be associated with place names. And then the, the Board of Geographic Names is essentially like, okay, we'll defer to you on those. You can go ahead and change a bunch of them. Now, 
What's interesting is that they have a working document, which is sort of the principles of derogatory place names. And in it, they've got three criterias. One is the, the clearly like derogatory place names, which are the bad words that are like demeaning. But the additional criteria is where it gets into areas where I think the justification around changing Mount Washington comes into play, which is the um, the idea that place names that are named after historical figures that can be um, tracked back to historical injustices to, um, you know, sort of underrepresented people, though there's a, there's a, they haven't decided on this, but they've essentially said like, oh, all right, we were all settled on derogatory names, but we want to leave open the the possibility that there's going to be names that we want to change based on them being named after historical figures that did bad things. So that's where I think the can of worms gets opened up because yeah, it's one of the interesting, yeah, exactly. It gets political and it gets difficult. And the other thing is that, if you read the uh, public comments that are on this um, this committee, there's many public comments from organizations where it's very apparent, like, you know, if Mount Washington got changed, like, that's not the end. You know, it's yeah. it's moving on to Jefferson. It's moving on to other other historical figures. And I don't think that there would be an end to this. And I question how healthy it would be to sort of go through this process of, dialing back names based on, you know, in some cases, factual um, historical injustices, but in in other other cases, perceived historical injustices. So it just seems like a dicey proposition to to go down that road because you could just really, you could go on forever with these names. That's correct. Yeah, it's a can of worms. It's no no place for government, not, not federal government anyway. Well, I mean, they oversee. I mean, that's their. They oversee the um, the place names. So it's 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 a hundred percent their responsibility to in a, to change and approve name changes and labels and things like that. So ultimately, on, it will come to the federal, federal government. But yeah. So it's interesting, but I'll link in the show notes like the all the documents for the reconciliation and place names. You can take a look at like what words they're they're using as derogatory. You can take a look at like the public comments. Um, some of the public comments are pretty funny. They're like, uh, you know, we're, we'll be happy to identify all of the bad places that y- need to be changed, and yeah. it's sort of ominous because you're like, oh wow, you yeah. know, I wonder what they what they have in mind. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, the biggest problem is the the whole political aspect of it. You know, you get some other administration with a different ideology, it'll be a whole different thing. That's what I mean. It's yeah. like when you when you're talking about the federal government, it's a pol- political beast. And uh, it can't yep. make rational judgments on this stuff. Stomp, we're too old to start learning new new names and stuff like that. That's going to be hard. <laughs> yes, especially uh, native tongues. Yes, exactly. Um, all right, Stomp. So next uh, article we have here, Chinese marathon runner 52 is disqualified for chain smoking throughout an entire race, <laughs> which he finished in three hours and 33 minutes. That's a, that's a pretty badass time for a 52-year-old chain smoking runner. Yeah, he smoked him. <laughs> this is funny though, right? 52. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he was just cho- chain smoking the whole race. Yeah, his name's Uncle Chen. Unbelievable. Why they disqualify him though? Because he was pissing off everybody? Oh my, if I was running a marathon and some dude was smoking cigarettes near me, I would like want to punch him in the throat. But uh, um, you see, 
see some of the video. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. It's honestly they should have they just oh, didn't even goodness. let him run. They should have tossed him out. What a funny story. His name's Uncle Chen. He's nicknamed the Smoking Brother. But he looks like he's in damn good shape. That's yeah, what's yeah, funny no, he about looks like it. He's in good shape. Yeah. So, wow. Interesting yeah, he's story. Got, like, he's got like bad. He's got really good calves there. Yeah. Like he's got he's got the VMOs and his quads going. Yeah. Wow. Funny story. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be stuck behind him though. Yeah. We all know that hiking a mountain can be hard at times. So here's a corny dad joke to help you get over it. But I'm bum. Well, I just dropped a dad joke. So do you have any this week? Yeah, Stomp. Um, why did the fart miss graduation? <laughs> why? <laughs> because it got expelled. <laughs> Oh my goodness! That's right. thanks again to Lance and Camilla for giving me my 365 days of dad jokes. That's excellent stuff. Yeah, so I think we've got like another. We've got 300 and like 60 episodes <laughs> left where I can do dad jokes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so uh, hey, if anybody wants stickers, you can grab slasher stickers either from us. You just drop us a line on social media and we'll send them out to you or you can find them at Ski Fanatics off Exit 28 in Campton, New Hampshire or in Massachusetts off at 93 Dascom Road in Andover at Spinner's Pizza Parlor. Pizza Parlor. Parlor. Pizza Parlor. What about this? What about the five-star reviews? How many do we have now, Mike? We got a little like so. I, I just put a reminder on here to like beg, beg for more reviews. So we had like <laughs> we had a bunch of good reviews in August, and then it got quiet. And then we had a big spike around Christmas because I think I begged for some good reviews around Christmas time. But if you could find it in your heart to give us more five star reviews and um, give us a good shout out on Apple Podcast, that would be great. Yeah. Um, I don't know what it does, but it feeds my ego. So I think that that works out. <laughs> if you don't want to give a five star review, then don't give a review at all. Doesn't it make us show up in the search results higher or something like it that? It may. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. Who knows? I always I always check the search results and I type in White Mountains and we we don't even show up. <laughs> then huh. I type in New Hampshire and we do show up. And then Mount Washington, four thousand footers, we show up. So <laughs> that's funny. Oh boy! Hey, a quick little shout out to our supporters, EMS. We haven't mentioned it in a bit. Your Northeast go-to for outdoor gear, guidance, education, and more since 1967. Check them out at EMS.com, and of course, Reckless. A special thanks to at Reckless Brewing, where you'll enjoy the best food, craft beer, and fun just 15 minutes from Franconia Notch, many 4,000 footers, and less than 10 minutes from the Five Corners. I was hoping to get over there this weekend after some sled guiding, but uh, things just got a little behind, shall we say. Yeah, yeah. You were angling um, get when, over we, there. when we were on Owl's Head and you were, you were doing your stuff, you were thinking about Reckless too. <sighs> yeah, and we ended up hitting uh, a Black Mountain Burger. Yeah, yeah. We went there after our hike, too. Yeah, that place is killer. Oh, oh my man. goodness. Those burgers I are amazing. Oh, the burgers are good. The mac and cheese, the buffalo mac and cheese balls. Yeah. Oh, yeah. those are good. Yeah, Mrs. Stomp and I, I went there for a little dinner date while you guys were out on Owl's Head. And I think yeah. that was the day those crazy squalls were coming in. And I was getting mm-hmm. nervous for you guys. Like, damn, it's coming in around like two or three. Hope they get yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. 
That's yeah, funny. we got hit with um, a good amount of snow coming out, and then but like, but then we went to Black Mountain Burger, and then you know I probably got on the road at like six six thirty, and then driving home on ninety three was like a death ride. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely frozen. Very dangerous. Hey, hold my beer. It's time to find out what Mike and Stomp are drinking on this week's Beer Talk. All right, Stomp, so this is the part of the show where we talk about what beer we're drinking. Mm. I'm enjoying a Tilted Barn brewery. It's called Raise the Barn. Winter Soul. Can you see that? Uh, let me see if that pops in. Winter Soul, which yeah. is Winter Sun. I believe. Um, and this is just a little something different away from the IPAs. It's a seasonal potter beer, porter beer, that they brew sparingly, generally, only in the colder winter months. A little vanilla bean and cocoa in there. So it's really tasty. It's, it's closer oh, wow. to a stout. It's, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. It's really good, though. Pretty tasty. What right. you got happening? I am finishing up my last uh, Zero Gravity Provisions. So it's got a nice outdoorsy theme. It's got trees and checkerboards and hiking boots and watermelons and paddling mm. paddling and jeeps. So it's, it's, it's nice. I knew we should have gone left back there. Stomp, don't worry. I know it's this way. I've got a feeling in my gut. Uh, are you sure you're not about to have a bowel emergency? <laughs> uh, totally. We got this. But I just blew out my hip. Fell down that gully with my 40-year-old microspikes. Suck it up, Stomp. It's 4 p.m. We're at 3,500 feet. We got nine miles back to the parking lot. Your leg may be broken. We got no cell connection, and we can't feel our fingers. But we're finishing all of my list tonight. <sighs> By the way, I need some water. I'm empty. I would if I could see what I'm doing, but my headlamp batteries are dead. You gotta be kidding me. What a chump. This is the last time I hike with you. Ha, whatever, mister. Do you know me? I have a podcast. Whatever. Let's find out what Mike and Stomp have been hiking. All right, so this is the part of the show where we talk about recent hikes. You should probably put the shame drop on here because neither one of us have anything to share. <laughs> yeah, it is true. I think I'm I'm tapped out for the winter 48. I'm just guiding on the weekends now, so I've got no time. Right, Maybe well. next Friday I can do something. Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm off. Next Friday? Yeah. If you don't I'm mind off, a late I'll do whatever you want. Okay, if you don't mind a late start like a noonish for something quick. Yeah. Yeah, I'm off. Okay, let's let's plan on something then. Oh my god, let's, it's a slash a date, Stomp. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, yeah, because I'm I'm just like tapped out. I'm doing seven days a week for different things. And where do you where it. do you need to go? Where do you want to go? Um, I have the smaller ones that I need to do, like uh, Wombeck, Cabot. Okay, Immediately how about know. Jackson, Monroe? Okay. I mean. Okay. It would push us into the into the afternoon hours, but I'm fine with that. Jackson, you need yeah. Jackson? I don't need any of them. I'll just go with you. <laughs> immediately no for Wombeck. <laughs> All right. Oh, t- to be honest with you, yeah, that's actually that's actually probably not a bad idea. Maybe crank out Jackson. Okay. All right, man. We can do that. All yeah. right. 
let's so pencil I've, it I've in. I've done the Great North with you up in Cabot once, and that's enough for me. Yeah, yeah. Three times is enough for me. It's just or, a long ride. So Yeah, it's true. Uh, it's very true. All right, and then I got nothing. I may be going up to, I was talking, uh, I'm scheming. I'm scheming for the weekend. I got to wait. I got to go upstairs and make sure that Mrs. Mike is in a good mood, and then I'm going to hit her with the old, I might go out on Saturday, but maybe I should, and I feel like I should <laughs> stick around. And then she'll say, like, no, you can go. And I go, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, got to go back. Okay, immediately, I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, epic and then sometimes she'll be like yeah you need to paint and I'll be like oh damn it yeah. I can't go hiking <laughs> yeah it's time for Slasher's Notable Hike of the Week if you want to be considered for the Hike of the Week simply tag Slasher on your social media post All right, Stomp, so this is the part of the show where we do the notable listener hike of the week, otherwise known as Dave Shits in the Woods is not winning this. So. <laughs> I have a funny story about this coming up. So yeah. Dave is actually the first one that tagged us. And remember, if you want to tag Slasher on your adventure, you can be considered for Slasher's hike of the week. Uh, no guarantees you'll be plugged on the show. And uh, the first one that was tagged was Dave, Dave Shits. And he. Well, so uh, by the way, like, let's just talk about this. Like, yeah. how many people reached out to us and were completely shook when they realized that Dave's hits in the woods is actually his, <laughs> his, his name and we got it wrong the whole time? <laughs> that was hilarious. <laughs> oh, I was like, uh, I was like, I can't believe this. Yeah, our minds are in the gutter, Mike. Our minds yeah. are in the gutter. Yeah, that was funny. So, uh, yeah, Dave tagged us for North Kinsman Notch Peak, which I'm not familiar with, but I can imagine where it is, and um, Blue Ridge Mountain North Peak. Marley Sue 2 and what Donna Hamilton photographs, hiked up Cannon via Kinsman Ridge Trail, which I'm telling you, I did that about two weeks ago, and it was so mint. And uh, from their report, I think they experienced the same type of uh, magic, shall we yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. So this is my Emily's hike crew. So yeah. um, hello to Dawn and Marley. But um, they had they had sent some video over. We have a little group text going on, and um, they got like the Narnia experience. You know, like that area oh, there, totally. like Kinsman's and Cannon is so like that. It's like the puffy <clears throat> snow. Like they didn't get yeah. like a lot of views, but like the the... The trail going up was just amazing. Yeah, the trees are so heavy with snow, and uh, it's a beautiful trail when it's it's carved out by snowshoes. It really is. Yeah. So nice job. Um, New Hampshire Wild official tagged us, and they hiked uh, Mount Shelburne to Mariah on Doctor MLK Day. Well, I think he, I think they did Shelburne Mariah, and then to Mariah. Uh. Mount Shelburne to Mariah, correct? No, 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 no. What Shelburne trail would that be? Mariah Trail. Um, well, the, the, you take the Shelburne Mariah Trail to, so you take Rattle River to Sh- Shelburne Mariah, and then I think they went over to Mariah. Okay. So there's two. Well, one peak is called Shelburne Dash Mariah. Yeah, and then the other is called Mariah. I'm pretty certain that's what it said on their post, though. So I'm just going verbatim what they said. I'm ninety percent positive that's what they wrote what you're reading right there so i don't know whatever i'm not a hiker right. anymore i just snowmobile <laughs> figure out the place names correctly stomp or I'll t- okay 
keep moving on. We could we could pull it up and confirm. It's on Instagram. I mean, I'm going to give her like the the, 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 the hiker of the week anyway because they like did some awesome pictures. Okay. So and plus, not to mention, they do always do good stuff. So we need to give yeah. them some love anyway. Okay, uh, Brady Girl One did Willie via Field. Uh, Ginger Beard Keen did the Wildcats and the Carters. Another epic hike. I miss that area. And then we're back to our recent guest, Liz Fay, did uh, Blue Job, Little Blue Job, and Hussy Mountain. And then like several days later, this guy named Dave posted the same thing. So I don't same know what thing, this yep. is all about. So they were a little right late, little late to the party for that guy, Dave. But uh, <laughs> just Very kidding. Good. All right. So, so we're giving it to New Hampshire Wild official. Um, I was going to give it to Marley and Donna, but I, I forgot about how cool those photos were on Shelburne yeah. Mariah Stomp. Okay, I'm gonna. You're gonna make me look this up. <laughs> it's time for Slasher's Guest of the Week. Very cool. Very cool. We're going to go into our segment here. So um, Carrie was nice enough to join us. So um, she is the uh, founder and owner of uh, Sherpa Ant, which is a cool retail uh, um, online store. And they also have retail um, locations or they, they sell in various locations at retail stores. So we were excited to talk to her, learn all about like her background. She's going to talk about through hiking and some other, um, you know, some other stuff around her hiking background and then talk about the cool stuff you can buy at her store. Yeah, and the sponsor for this segment, our favorite, Vaucluse Gear. So does your backpack not provide enough ventilation? Does your back sweat too much when backpacking? As you know, sweat can be extremely uncomfortable on the trails. Plus, sweat is a serious risk factor in both hot and cold climates. As your clothes get wet, your core temperature can dramatically fluctuate. This can result in hypothermia, heat exhaustion, and dehydration. Let's not forget, very uncomfortable. Today's your lucky day because we have good news for you. There's a piece of gear that solves the sweat and ventilation problem, making your backpack more comfortable. Vaucluse Gear's Ultralight Backpack Ventilation Frame. The Ultralight Frame is a backpack accessory that easily installs in your favorite pack, size 15 liters to 45 liters, and creates a ventilating airflow gap between you and your pack. It's also ultralight, weighing around 3 ounces. That's equivalent to a pair of wool socks. Whether hiking in hot or cold temps, the ultralight backpack ventilation frame from Vaucluse Gear is a real game changer regarding airflow and ventilation. Visit VaucluseGear.com to order an ultralight ventilation frame today. Use promo code SLASHER to enjoy a $5 discount. And plus, let them know that Mike and Stomp sent you. All right, let's check out this segment. <laughs> All right, we are live here. So, Carrie, this is your moment. Do you do you prefer to go by Carrie or Sherpa Ant? <laughs> Either one is fine. We'll ta- we'll say Carrie for yeah for now. But yeah. I do. A lot of people call me the Ant. The Ant is that your like? Did you get that? Like, we might as well just get this out of the way. Like, trail is that name? like the trail name? No, no. My trail name is a little more embarrassing than that. Um, <laughs> I came up with Sherpa Ant on the AT though. So I love it. Okay, yeah, I read that story on your website. Yeah. 
Yeah, my trail name is actually Shrocket. Shrocket. Yes. What is the meaning behind that? Snot Rocket. But uh, I would I refuse to go by Snot Rocket, so we shortened it to Shrocket. Sounds uh, a little more dignified. So uh, what how long into your through hike, like you know, you make your connection with your trail family and all that stuff. At what point and I, I liken this to we're gonna get a little crude here, Carrie, so I apologize ahead of time. Just tell me no if worries. I'm stepping in line. But like there's a certain point in the relationship when you start dating someone where like it's it becomes like you can pass gas in front of people. I, but like at what point did you um were you able to do the snot rockets in front of like all the trail family and all that stuff day two day two all right so you, you guys bonded very quickly then it all goes out the window uh, it was cold in march georgia is surprisingly cold in march yeah yeah oh, it funny. is you do what you gotta do yeah, all right. Well, we're going to talk about um, Georgia and what's going on um, down there coming up. But why don't we start off? So we didn't do a proper introduction, Carrie, but we'll let you introduce yourself in a minute. But Stomp, why don't you kick this off? Because once again, you're you're doing all the heavy lifting on landing our great guests. So can you just kick this off and give some background? Sure, sure. I, Carrie, I think I uh, started realizing uh, that your work existed out there maybe several years ago. And I want to say... It was probably in an actual re- retail location versus uh, internet. I could be wrong about that, but I think the first time I saw your work was at uh, Mountain Wanderer in Lincoln uh, by the great mm-hmm. uh, Steve Smith. And it was probably a few of your uh, etched, uh, not etched, but drawn maps and then also the trail sign cards that you make. And um, I fell in love with your work immediately, and uh, it was oh, very unique. You. And then at some point, I... I, I I started following you online, and um, I've I've been following straight along. As a matter of fact, when my my wife Mrs. Stomp and I finished our forty eight, um, I purchased one of the Carrigan Trail Sign cards and uh, gave it to her because that's where we finished. So that's that's framed in our nice. framed in our bedroom, and um, and then a second piece which was really nice. My oldest daughter Evelyn. Um, gave us as a gift following our wedding was the a framed version of the your presidential traverse, which is again black and white and uh, uh, just more uh, fine lines and whatnot. So your work has always been sort of part of my family, which is really neat. And um, I've always been a fan of um, like the Eastern art or like traditional Chinese grayscale and uh, like J.R. Tolkien's maps and his books. And your, your your work sort of falls in those two categories for me. And I've, I've always been a big fan. So we're uh, really Thank glad you. that you uh, agreed to come on and chat with us. Yeah, happy to be here. Yeah, it's super cool. Awesome. Well, Carrie, why don't you um, just start off? Can you just introduce yourself and give a little bit of background about... Um, you know, your, your hiking background, and then we're going to talk about um, Sherpa Ant and the retail opportunities uh, or the retail products that you offer and all that fun stuff. But let's let's talk about the hiking piece first. Okay. Yeah. So, well, first off, thanks for having me on the show. This is great. Um, oh, I'm welcome. a New Hampshire native. I've lived in New Hampshire almost all my life. I did leave for school. I went to University of Rhode Island. And then when I met my husband, I moved to Massachusetts for a few short years. Um, But I have a background in art. I have an art degree with a concentration in graphic design. So I've always been passionate about art. And I've been a graphic designer now for about 15 years. 
So about eight years ago, I left, or 10 years ago, 11 years ago, I left my corporate job to hike the AT. And then when I came back from that, I decided to start my own business. And that's when Sherpa Ant evolved. And then I'm also a mom, a wife. I have two, two young daughters who love the outdoors and uh, love climbing and hiking and all things outdoors. Wow. And with the, awesome. uh, with the work that you did in court, so I'm assuming, I'm going to guess you went to RISD then if you were in Rhode Island, right? You're a graphic <laughs> designer. No, no. I went to the University of Rhode Island. Oh, wow. All right. Well. Yeah. I didn't know that I was going to do graphic design until senior year of high school. And in order to get into RISD, you needed to have a strong portfolio by senior year of high school. So. Huh. Interesting. Well, that's uh, that's great. And then, so you worked in the corporate world. What 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 happened? I'm always curious about this, like because I feel like in the AT, I just make this assumption that it's either like right out of college you go or you retire or you're you're close to retirement you go. But so you did a little bit of a corporate gig and then decided to just step away from that and and hike the Appalachian Trail. Were you were you always planning to do that, or did it happen sort of on short notice? A little bit of both. I had always wanted to hike the AT, and uh, after college, I had my life kind of set up already. I kind of fell into a job that I loved, and everything was working until it wasn't. (laughs) And so I worked for a company for about six years after college, and then I decided you know, if I'm ever going to do this, it's going to be now. So um, I was kind of feeling like I needed a change at the job as well. So I was getting into more of a management role. So I wasn't doing as much design and just wasn't quite happy where I was. So decided to make a huge life change and just leave that job and finally go take my hike. Yeah. Do you ever think like, I mean, I, I sort of, I never really... I mean, I've been in sort of the corporate world for the last like 25 years and I never really had the luxury of saying like, you know what, I've got a little window here. But do, do you ever think back and say like, wow, if I had stayed in sort of the corporate world, how, how different my life might be? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very different. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting. Like so many people don't take that chance or they don't, they don't take the moment. And I'm assuming like, you know, six years, you get a little bit of a nest egg built up. So you're like, okay, financially I can do this, but Mm -hmm. uh, it still had to be nerve wracking. Did you get any pressure from like family or friends or anybody that's like, you know, Hey, you're going to step away for like six months or a year. Like the job market may be tough. Like this is a huge risk or were you just pretty sure the whole time? Um, I was pretty sure the whole time. I think most people were pretty excited. They kind of understood what I was doing and why I was doing it. Um, obviously, my mom and my grandparents and family were a little nervous, but um, I think I think I was living with my mom at the time. I don't even remember anymore, but I'm pretty sure I had moved back home, and it was just kind of time to do something new. Awesome. And then um, did you, can you think back, like, was there a lot of online resources for you to plan with? Or did you have to do more of just buying books and uh, more reading about the trail? A little bit of both. I do have some how to hike the AT guidebooks um, that are all 
way outdated now. Um, there was, was it whiteblaze.net? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Is that still around? Yeah, that's still around. Yeah, that was a huge resource. Um, and yeah, just kind of figured out what kind of gear to take, where to do mail drops. Not that I did many, but just to have ideas of where I might stop. I did have a small group of friends that we did the 100-mile wilderness uh, the fall before the hike. So kind of tested out some gear, learned what not to do. That was actually my first backpacking experience. So I knew I was doing the AT and the 100-mile wilderness in, I think, July before the trail was my first backpacking. And did you, um, were you pretty dialed in with your gear or did you have to switch it up quite a bit after you got on trail? I was pretty good. Um, I remember my shoes. I started with a pair of trail runners that did not work and I switched out at the first, I think it was called Mountain Crossing. Mountain Crossing, yep. Yeah. At that first gear shop, I switched them out and those shoes lasted me to Maine. Wow. So they, they, they were just um, like regular hiking shoes? Yes. I can't believe I forget the name now because I love them. I still, so then on the PCT, I bought the same pair because I was like, those work. And I had two pairs on the PCT, but I still have my second pair that I'm wearing now. And that was six years ago. <laughs> Did you, uh, how long, so for the, uh, the, we get some listeners that, you know, are doing the Appalachian Trail, and I think most of them are starting to get on trail between March and April, so it's coming up. What are your, what's your thoughts, or like, what is your your view on, like, that initial period when you get to Georgia and you start hiking north? Is that, were you able to find your friends pretty quickly and settle in, or um, was it was it more of a process to get into a routine day after day for, for the thru-hike? Yeah, I actually, I I guess I started on a great day because day one, we had a great crowd around us. Obviously, a lot of them dropped out, but I stayed, I met four, three people that first day and the four of us stayed with each other till the halfway point. And we just, we had great hiking pace we had lots of things to talk about and we kind of had the same hiking style and the only reason I separated from them at the halfway point was they were going a little faster than I wanted to go yep. and I had allotted six months and I wanted to make sure I took that time okay. and we would have finished in four months oh wow so they were going really so you were going really fast the first half then yeah, yeah, and then I really slowed down because I knew if I got back, I would probably go right back to that job, and I just would fall back into everything, and I've, I, that's not the experience I wanted on the trail, so it was really hard to leave them because we were a great group, and uh, the funny part about it is we all ended at Katahdin on the same day. Just randomly. Oh, so they, did they have to like step off trail and then come back or something? Yeah, a couple of them stepped off to visit family or um, had injuries. And for whatever reason, we all ended up on the same day together. Wow. And how, uh, was there any periods where you had doubts or you thought like, oh, this isn't, uh, 
I'm, I'm going to step off or this isn't really what I had hoped it would be? Or were you pretty sure the whole time that you're going to just keep, keep going? I was sure I was going to keep going. There were days when it wasn't fun. Um, the year I hiked was one of the wettest years. I'm sure there's been wet years since, but I think it was 80% of the days were rainy. So, you know, almost all of us had trench foot and we just woke up, we're wet, walked in the rain, went to bed wet. It just gets old after a while, but (laughs) it was still a great experience, I guess. (laughs) And when you, uh, the other thing I'm curious about is, so when you're down in Georgia and like in the southern part and you start meeting people, do you immediately like start flexing that you're from New Hampshire and that the whites are going to be like nothing and that uh, do you you try to sort of assert your dominance over them by, by your New Hampshire credibility? No. <laughs> no, I didn't, have, I didn't have enough backpacking experience to assert any dominance. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, I, I figured, you know, you got you to gotta, you gotta throw your resume out there a little bit. People, people were asking. They they were a little worried. Um, you know, everybody looks ahead in the guidebook and you see the elevation profile. And they'll look and they'll be like, oh, this doesn't look so bad. And then all of a sudden they jump ahead and they're like, what is New Hampshire about? <laughs> Wow. And so clearly the through hiking like stuck with you because you ended up doing the Pacific Crest Trail as well. Yes. And I had not really planned on doing that. Um, After the AT or a little while after the AT, I met my husband at the climbing gym and he had just kind of said, oh yeah, the AT, I'm planning on doing that one day too. Then we started dating and he was like, well, you've already done the AT. And so he casually said, oh, why don't we do the PCT together? And I wasn't really thinking about that. But like six months later, we were starting out on the PCT. Wow. So, you, so you're dating him for like, so what is it, six months, 12 months, whatever. So had you done any like trips with him before or was this the first big trip that you guys had done together? It was the first big trip. I think we were together maybe a year. A year or so. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, we were together about a year, year and a half, and uh, but you know, a year of that is the planning and figuring out how we're going to leave our now jobs that we have, and um, he owned a house, and what would that look like? Um, but yeah, we planned it, and he proposed on the trail, which he proposed 700 miles in, which I thought was very bold. (laughs) Uh, No kidding. (laughs) Anniversaries (laughs) are going to be tricky. (laughs) (laughs) And he proposed in an area where we didn't get to a road crossing for four days. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, I was like, well, that would have (laughs) been... I'm curious from your perspective, like, so when you go on trail... You go on trail solo on the AT and you like you meet your friends and your crew or whatever, and then you're going as a couple on the PCT. Is it completely different? Does everybody just stay away because they're like, well, you know, I don't want to encroach on the couple? Or did you were you able to sort of find friends or do you find other couples that are in the same situation? It it was harder to find a group to get in with. Mm-hmm. Um, not that people wanted to stay away, but. It's a totally different crowd on the PCT, and um, we did find, we found our group, and we're still great friends with them. They came and visited us over the winter, and um, 
yeah, it's just different. But once you find them, they stick with you. Yeah. Do you find like it's more spread out with the PCT? Like it's not as crowded at the shelters as is it on the AT? Um, yes. Uh, there are, there were 10 spots that were very crowded, uh, especially in the beginning, but yeah, it's definitely spread out. We didn't, we didn't stay in many shelters or like common tent spots, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the AT is a lot more crowded yeah, and you- the AT is a lot of younger and older generations. So like t- uh, under 30 and over 60 and the PCT tended to be like 30 and 40 year olds. Okay, yeah, because that sort of goes back to my assumption with the AT is it's like a lot of college kids and a lot of retirees, so yeah. that makes sense. Wow. And I then, don't know what all the 30-year-olds were doing on the PCT, but... <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But, well, they are all the te- they all cashed out on their tech jobs, and they've got, yeah. they got money. <laughs> um, so just after you did after you did these through, the first through hike, like did the, the bug bit you or the ant bit you, and <laughs> did you go in... You did a lot of hiking around New Hampshire, the White Mountains, 4,000-footers, yeah. any other list that you did? Um, I don't think any other lists now. I wasn't a big list person. Okay. I mean, I, I'm still not a big list person. I, I didn't even complete my 4,000 footers until many years after the AT. Yeah. So you took your time. Do you, do you, do you like to do day hiking or do you prefer the backpacking trips? Oh, I love day hiking. Yeah. yeah. Um, I love backpacking now and, but you know, with, Especially with two kids, day hikes are a lot easier. Yeah, exactly. Are the kids getting into the hiking? How old are the kids? Yeah, three and five. Okay. Um, so they like to ride in the pack. Yeah. Um, and I go on a lot of trail walks during the week, but that means I'm usually carrying both of them, and they're getting kind of heavy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's at that tough age. The fi- you gotta you gotta negotiate with the five year old. Say, look, yeah. look, kid, yeah. you gotta walk now. Yeah, so luckily they're both pretty small. So when I'm carrying both of them, it's about 75 pounds. But I don't prefer to do that. Huh. <laughs> Sound like a candidate for search and rescue, Carrie. <laughs> True. She could help. Come on I'm, up. I'm training. We'll, we'll take you. I'm all the way so, down in now. <laughs> she's, I'm exhausted just thinking about her life. I can't think she can add search and rescue team member to her resume. But um, And then you've been outside the U- U.S. You've been to Patagonia, the Azores, and some other areas. Can you talk a little bit about your international uh, trips? Yeah, so Patagonia was a trip that I did while I was still in the corporate world. And it was my first solo trip ever. And um, again, just kind of had a life change and needed to do something and said, you know, I'm going to take a, take a vacation and found a tour group that was going to Patagonia and they were going to do a lot of hiking. So decided I was just going to jump on board and try it out. And it was one of the greatest trips I've ever been on. Um, I had no idea what I was doing (laughs) and I didn't know anyone and it was scary, but it was amazing. Well, it's definitely on my bucket list, but I'd say, um, it's it's difficult to break away with with my family situation, but in the future I would love to go. So you you recommend like so this tour group situation like there was no no creepy people or or difficult people. It was you got along with everybody and you yeah, had yeah, a good time. It was good. 
Yeah, it was, it was a small group. I think there was only like six or eight of us and a mix of ages. And it was, yeah, it was, and nobody, everybody got along and it was just really nice. We spent a couple days in the cities and then did uh, the, the circuits down in Patagonia. And it was great going with a tour group because they were able to do all the visas and kind of get us on all the buses and other smaller flights that you need to do to get to those areas. Did you, as you were doing these trips, like I'd imagine you came back from Patagonia with like a million photos and things like that. Did you start just pulling together the, um, the photos and any drawings and things like that? Did you start getting creative around some of these early trips? Were those anything like any prototypes to what you eventually ended up doing with, with Sherpa Ant? Um, not so much with the Patagonia trip. Um, I did, Patagonia got me sketching again and realizing that I wanted to do something more with my career than work for a corporate job that I was just grinding at. Um, but I still had no idea what that meant. And then when I was on the AT, I kind of thought more about it. Still, you know, everybody says you'll figure out life while you're on the AT, but I finished the AT more confused. <laughs> and um, <laughs> But then in the months after the AT, when you're kind of going through that weird period where you don't know what to do with yourself, that's when I started coming up with new ideas. And uh, that's when I created my first product, which was the color your hike trail map that of the mm. white mountains that most people know about right yeah and did that uh, so that first project the the, the color um, project that just uh, did you think that this was a business to start off with or would you just doing this sort of on the side and seeing um what the interest was how did it i guess how did it develop from sort of a small interest to a real business so I remember, and it started kind of at Mountain Wanderer. That's why it was kind of funny when you said you first saw it there. Yeah. I remember walking into Steve's shop many, many years ago, and I asked him if he had any large-scale posters of all of the hiking trails in the Whites, not just the maps um, that, you know, you'd have to open all of them up and then it's you still don't have a complete picture and he said he didn't have anything like that so i said well if i create one will you sell it and he said oh yeah yeah show me what you got and so pretty much that day i went home and started sketching and um after lots and lots of sketches and rounds i came out with the first version of that map and showed it to steve and he was like oh yeah this is pretty cool so he said, yeah, I'll stock a few of them and see what happens. And that's when I kind of started thinking, this could be a thing. I have a lot of other ideas. Let's kind of just put them all together. Except for right when I finished the map, that's when we decided to go on our PCT hike. So it kind of put the hold on it right as it was ramping up. But but it probably also gave you a little bit more time to sort of think through and say like, all right, maybe I have something here. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes that's a good thing. Let it percolate a little bit. And when you came back from the PCT, 
what happened was it like was everyone like where were you we want more maps <laughs> no my mom was mailing them out and you know it was like one or two every other week it because i wasn't promoting it i mean i wasn't on instagram i'm not on facebook that much um but the people who did hear about it and wanted to order one she would mail them out for me um but no, people people didn't really know yet, but when I got back, that's when I really started promoting it and showing people what I had and coming out with other designs. Got it. So for the listeners, um, I guess the way I would describe this and to yell at me if I'm doing this wrong, so these are sort of grayscale maps that have you know the trails on them and they'll have a particular region, the White Mountains, Monadnock, Belknaps, whatever. And then you can color in your your progress in whatever creative way you want. Can you talk a little bit about like what what have you seen some some people do with with these? Yeah, so you can use any any marker, crayon, colored pencil to color the the trails in. And basically, what I wanted it for was there were a lot of times when we would go to say North Conway. And we knew what we had hiked, but we didn't know what else was around. And we would look at maps, but between me and my husband, I have a terrible memory. Um, We would just kind of hike the same thing every time. And so I wanted a map or, you know, kind of like redlining, but I wanted to be able to see it on the wall and just be like, well, we're going to this area. What can we hike that we haven't done yet? And so that was my original idea for the map. But since then, I've seen people use it to track. Um, They do different colors for different years that they've hiked. They do different colors for different people in the family or different seasons. Um, Some people put glass, like keep the glass on their frame and use like a erase um, whiteboard marker Mm -hmm. so that they can erase it every year and do it again. So there's a lot of different ways to use it. Yeah, it's really cool. And then um, you've obviously, like, this isn't the only products that you sell. Like, you have a bunch of different prints, and you have apparel and and greeting cards. But, like, the, the, the maps themselves that you've drawn, Stomp touched on this a little bit before. Like, I was a big, like, sci-fi fantasy kid, reader when I was a kid. And, like, all those books, you know, like George R. R. Martin and Tolkien and even, like, Terry Brooks and all these other they always had maps of the the worlds that they they wrote about and I was always fascinated with those maps were you mm-hmm. were you at all into that or how, how did you get to sort of learn to draw about draw maps uh, surprisingly I was not okay. but I have a mm-hmm. lot of map books that have vintage maps in them So anything from vintage to, you know, more modern map styles. And I am constantly going through those and just looking at how people have made maps through time. Um, I still have not looked too much at the fantasy maps, um, but the vintage maps are really what, what captivates me. Yeah, it's and it's interesting. Like those maps, where we have a segment where we talked about earlier in the show, where we talk about like the not only the, but the, not only the the early map makers and their sort of their their art and design skills, but they also were responsible for like basically naming all of the features that we 
uh, we all travel on now the trails and all the all the, the rivers and mountains and summits like they basically just you know it was up to them to make those decisions to um, to do all those naming so it's just fascinating how you know, you're drawing from them as well because it's just really they've. It's the biggest piece of history that I think that is left behind is w- watching those how those people made those maps and how you know you can sort of see the story on how things evolved in the White Mountains over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a couple hanging on our wall that are very old. <laughs> our um, my husband's dad is a collector, mm-hmm. so he finds us some really cool ones. Oh, so you can go over there and then get new inspiration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. So um, a couple of other, so the product line. So if anybody wants to check out all the products, they can go to SherpaAnt.com and then you've got, you know, probably like five or six different sections here. So you've got greeting cards that you sell. Uh, yeah. Do you make those all yourself? I know that, I know you're not a one person show, so you have a, another person, I think, and I'm sure you probably have family and friends that also help out, but do you, do you design most of the greeting cards? I design everything, okay. design, layout, create everything. I have someone who helps me with shipping and she also helps a lot with, you know, any other random, she does all my, uh, you know, billing and stuff like that, that I don't like to do. All the fun business stuff. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yep. So, all right, so um, but yeah, <laughs> I, all the greeting cards I've designed, they're all meant for people who love the outdoors, which it's kind of hard to find greeting cards like that. And um, they're not sappy, but they're not, they're also not like over the top shouting at you. Yeah. I love your vibe. Do you, do you, you know, there's a, there's themes across your greeting cards that give sort of similar, um, I guess, feel across all the different cards. Um, do you, are you pretty much set like you've got all your themes? Or are you always thinking about like, okay, I've got to, I've got to create a new theme of, of greeting cards? Um, like sentiment or new like sport? Uh, like a new, like, so you've got them broken down by, say, you know, like outdoor adventure and, and birthday and love and friendship, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Like, do you ever say, I'm, I'm going to make a new sort of segment of cards or are you pretty set in these, these themes? Yeah, I'm actually, I'm thinking of a new segment right now. Um, it's, but it would kind of fall into a category already. It's more of a congrats, but a targeted congrats. Um, but I'm also always looking for suggestions. So if anybody needs a theme, let me know. <laughs> All right, Stomp. I may I may have to hit you up for a, a special yeah. Stomp birthday card. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So, Carrie, I'm looking through the, um, I mentioned it earlier, but I'm looking through the uh, trail sign uh, poster that you had made. And uh, I got to hand it to you. you. You've captured the character of, of each of these peaks in each of these pictures. It's really impressive. Thank you. That's so cool. How did you do your research for the actual uh, font or style of each of the signs? Was there a resource for that? A lot of it was from my own photos that I took uh-huh. when I was hiking. That's great. Um, and then, you know, like a lot of people like to point out, a lot of the mountains don't have signs. <laughs> um, so those I just kind of <laughs> took the took you know a major feature from the summit and yeah. just kind of created my own sign uh using it's all hand drawn so the font is all just my handwriting mm. 
Yeah, it's beautiful. Like, uh, for instance, for the listeners, I'm looking at the Mount Liberty, and um, it's that classic photo as you're about 100 yards from the summit, and the rocks are angling up and to the west towards the sunset. You know, that, that classic image, and then the sign is right on top of that. It's so classic. <laughs> Very nice. Thank you. Do I see you even have a gray jay? Is that on uh, yeah. Mount Willie? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good call. <laughs> You can't hike that without seeing one. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's so true. great. Wow. Yeah, that's wow, a this great is one. cool. And then you So the got question a- is, do I update it with the LIDAR? Oh, no. Oh, no. You're going to get us canceled, Carrie. I've had many debates with this. <laughs> Why don't you oh. make a separate uh, variation on it? <laughs> I know. That's all right. It's, it's a possibility. Yeah. And then wow. you also sell clothing, right? I do, yes. Yeah, and then you can get so you. It's not just Mountain Wanderer. You have a bunch of different retail locations where you can where you sell. Um, is it apparel and and then your prints as well? Yeah, apparel, prints, gifts. I have mugs and tote bags, and I'm now in about fifty stores uh, throughout the U.S. Okay, yeah, and you're in a bunch in New Hampshire, so you're in you're in a couple of spots in North Conway, so International Mountain Equipment Store, you're in Mountain Wanderer, you're in the AMC Lodges, yeah, um, as well, and then is there any whereabouts in Massachusetts? Is it the three places in Massachusetts? You got to get some presence in the North Shore here. Yeah, I have to update that list as well. Okay, um, so, um, yeah. Yeah, I'll update that list within okay. the next day. Awesome. <laughs> um, but as of, this is an exciting announcement, but as of last week, I am now in REI Bedford. Oh, oh, that's great. Yeah. Huge. Yep, they bought pretty much everything. Really? Yep, so if you're looking for something and you're in that area, stop on in. Well, I need oh. to get over there because I haven't been to that store, so that might give me the motivation to just get up there. There you go. Awesome. <laughs> um, and so all of the apparel is printed in New Hampshire. Okay. And I print the I print the onesies myself, so those are all right in right right here, but um yep, mm-hmm. printed in New Hampshire. And I try to keep everything as local as possible. My large-scale prints are right in Massachusetts and um, yeah, the thing I love is so you have the you got the four thousand footer hoodie sweatshirt, which is huge. Yeah, that um, one's really comfortable. Yep, and then you've got a bunch of different themes. So you've got Adirondack High Peaks, you've got the Presidential Traverse, um, and you've got the, so t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, hoodies. So you've got all, all the big three that we need for all your apparel here, and then and a mix between cotton and wicking, so okay. that you can yeah. bring some hiking and then wear some in town. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Stop. So you yeah, you should smart. buy me the four thousand footer white mountains <laughs> in blue. Okay, I'll do that. I okay. need some stickers for my uh, my DJ rig. I'm gonna give you guys a coupon code too. <laughs> all right, excellent. Yes, yeah, for all your listeners. <laughs> okay, awesome. and what is that? Um, do you want to wait or do you want to do uh, it? No, now? let's just do S L A S R. 24. Okay. Yeah, Slasher 24 for a discount Excellent. code. Super cool. We appreciate that, and I'm sure you'll yeah. get some hits. We have no doubt. 
<laughs> um, and then what's so you, you're in REI, so that's pretty much like now you get you get you're in the the, the big leagues here, and then you're, it's only a matter of time before you get into Reading and some other locations. Um, what's next? Do you have any other big plans, or are you just like you're you're sort of like it feels like you're at the point where like you're you're going from like the one one or two person operation where you might need to expand are you are you thought about that are you scared about that like scaling up is like it can be difficult because you got to deal with other people yeah um i'm excited about it um our my goal was always to stay home with my kids while they were not in school Mm-hmm. So I've been trying to keep it kind of smaller for the last few years and they're get you know, my oldest is going to kindergarten next year. So it's kind of time to start ramping it up. And so it's kind of all just working perfectly, perfect timing. Um, but I'm excited about, you know, growing it, but also not growing it giant. I'd like to keep it you know, a small business because then I can still make things in the U S and keep it as local as possible. Mm, yeah. It's admirable. Yeah. And part of your mission too, it's not, you have a, 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 a pledge to sort of give back and you've been involved in supporting a number of different um, organizations. So can, can you talk a little bit about sort of the mission and values of, of Sherpa Ant? Yeah, so, you know, our mission is to, you know, share the outdoor, outdoor, okay, so (laughs) the mission is to help outdoor enthusiasts pursue and share their passions, and also give back to the people and places we love. And so, I give back by giving 5% of profits to an environmental cause. Um, The past few years that has been helping with um, providing more access to, um, to the outdoors, more equitable access to the outdoors. Got it. Excellent. And do you, uh, do you ever do a lot of, you recruiting new hikers? I'm assuming you get hit up like occasionally like, Hey, I want to get into hiking. And like, you're the, let's talk to uh, Sherpa aunt. She must know (laughs) what to tell me to do. Like, do you have, do you ever help out or do you just have any just general advice for new hikers or people that want to get into the outdoors? I get a lot of questions about through hiking. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of people, um, ask about resupply and mail drops and, specific gear for through hiking. Uh, I think most people know that I'm not hiking the big mountains right now and I'm mostly on trail hauling two kids. So I don't, I don't get many of those questions anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Are you nervous? Like I know with me, I made the huge mistake I made with my kids is like, I just did too much too fast and I burnt like two of them out. I still got one that like hikes, but the other two are like, no, I'm not going hiking with you, dad. Cause you're a maniac. <laughs> uh, do you, do you think about that at all? I mean, it sounds like you've got it, you've got it down pretty well if you're not pushing them too hard, but that's, that's a tricky thing with the kids is like, how do you keep it fun? Yeah. Um, but you also, you know, you want to get out there and hike. Yeah, so most of our hikes are about a half a mile, and they consist of a lot of ferry houses. Yep. So that's how we're doing it right now. Um, They are getting more interested in doing longer hikes, 
and you know they can they can walk a little further now too so i'm excited about this summer i'm hoping we can get up and do a couple a couple bigger hikes you know maybe a mile or two <laughs> that's that's smart yeah, and it's good for you because like you, you got to tire these kids out. Like if you don't if you don't tire, the, I tell people this all the time. I'm like, don't don't put them in front of the TV. Don't don't give them like the iPad. Like you got to get these kids out walking. Get them to bed. They're gonna drive you crazy otherwise. Yeah, and then if you are up north and you need to get them tired out, and you don't, you can't go on a hike. Stop at the AMC Lodge because that playscape that'll get them every time. All right, that's a good call. <laughs> That's a good call. Yeah, this just get them moving. That's that's such an important thing for the kids. Yeah. Um, and then, do you have any plans to do adult size onesies? Because I'd like to buy one for Sean. <laughs> I'll see what I can do. Like bibs. <laughs> yeah. Well, so you definitely need a bib. So that would be great. So, you can also um, mail me something, and I'll just slap slap an image on it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. All right. So essentially then, like, if from what I've learned here, then like you're the go-to place. Like, so if you're a hiker and you're listening to the show and you want to get like some cool stuff to hang on your wall or you want a unique sweatshirt or you want to flex that you just did a presidential tra- Matter of fact, I did a presidential traverse this time. I can buy that shirt now. You can yes, buy a lot know. of things. Yeah. You can buy a shirt. You can buy a short sleeve shirt, a long sleeve shirt, a hoodie, a mug. Yeah. Yeah. I, could, I could be Mr. Traverse. So, a sticker, but, a magnet. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty good. Um, and then, oh, you—the other thing too—is you have like you have a logo. So, is the the Sherpa ant is a, it's a cool logo. So, you designed that I think early on. But does the ant actually have a name, or is it just is Sherpa the name of the ant? I think it's just the ant. It's just the ant. No, no name. Um, and so that ant I drew on the AT. Uh, we were at, it's like, you know, the story everyone knows is it, we were at a, you know, all you can eat breakfast or something. And I just drew an ant and I said, if I ever own a business, this is going to be my logo. And the first few years, it was that photocopy of that one napkin. And then I actually went in and rendered it. And mm-hmm. uh, that's... That's the logo. Were you always cool. recruited to like uh, tag all the shelters because you had the best drawing skills? No, I, would, I only drew mountains. <laughs> okay, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Uh, wow, this, so this is great. So we'll link all of your. So we'll link your, um, you know, the website, and then um, we'll put up the retail locations as well. And you know, I think also like people should definitely if you haven't gone to the REI in Bedford, check it out. But I, I'm going to go up there. I think maybe pretty soon and see if I can get some stuff as well. But um, anything else as far as you want to plug, Carrie? Um, I've got lots of exciting plans for this year. I have two new collections that I'm sketching out now that I'm really excited about. They're on the lines of the Prezi Traverse, but uh, two, you know, different areas. And I'm really excited about them. And I'm going to have new cards soon. And I'm working on a couple collaborations. So lots, lots in the works right now. Awesome. Yeah, I feel like there's um there's like this crossover between the hiking community and the creative community that I more and more the the more I'm around the more I see it. So 
it's just great to uh, this was such a great idea stomp I don't often give you credit but like you it was a great idea to reach out to Carrie I it's this has been great yes, thank you <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely this has been wonderful thank you Carrie yeah thank you it's it was great and if, if yeah if you have any news or any updates let us know and uh, we'll certainly be willing to plug and uh, share the news to right. the listeners yeah I'll let you know when those new designs are out Awesome. And I'll make sure to get you a coupon code and you can give your listeners 20% off. Yeah, yeah, slasher 24. We'll uh we'll put that in the show notes yeah, as well fantastic. and then uh I'm going to Carrie, you're going to get rich soon because I'm going to have my wife just pick out a couple of things here. She's a shopper. She likes to Love shop. it. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> sure. Um <laughs> This is great. So then now, so Carrie, we'll let you go. We're going to get into like all the calamities and um, search and rescue disasters that have gone on nationwide over the last like um, right. week or two. So um, you, we'll spare you the pain of listening to this stuff. Okay. Well, <laughs> thank you for having you're, me. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Bye. And we're backstop. So that was pretty cool. Yes, that's super cool. I love her art. It's just so oh, unique. It's very cool. Yeah, that's I'm t- awesome. I, I'm telling you, take a take a look when you have a chance at your Lord of the Rings J.R.R. Tolkien maps. That yeah, it's the Tolkien, same vibe. R- yeah, absolutely. It's really? so neat. It's very cool. It's just yeah, I just fun to look I at. just put um I put together like a bunch of photos from my um Yosemite trip and. Uh, I got some spaces on my wall, though, down here that I need to add to. So I'm definitely going to go shopping. Yeah, that sounds great. I think I might, too. I mean, we have a couple of nice prints. I would love to get the Pemi Loop print that she has. It would be similar. Mm-hmm. It would match the presidential traverse print that my daughter gave, Mrs. Stump yeah. and I. And uh, Are you brave enough to do the color thing? I would, I would buy one of the coloring things, but I wouldn't be brave enough to actually color it in. I'd have to do like the, the whiteboard thing. Mm, I'm a purist. I don't touch art. I just leave it. You don't touch it. All right. So even just, even though it's designed for color, you you would just leave it be. I leave it be as a collector's item, a memento. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I've been like that forever. Yeah, I I would just ruin it if I tried to like do any level of art. <laughs> any any level? Any level? <laughs> I, I can. I have a one guy. I have like one guy that I can draw. Okay. It's just like the it's the same character I learned in like second grade, but that's the only thing I can draw. It's got like big cheeks. <laughs> I have to see this. Maybe it can be our uh, new logo. Yes, I'll draw him. I'll draw him and post on the show notes. Slasher ant. <laughs> <laughs> yep, slasher stomp. <laughs> Um, oh, all right, so, so this is the part of the show where we're going to do search and rescue news, but you need to um, jump into a sponsor here. Yeah, so I hope some people have tried this. I've been enjoying the uh, Fieldstone Kombuchas at Mad River Coffee. They're fantastic. So Great. Fieldstone Kombucha, New England's premium craft kombucha company. If you're in the heart of New England, you need to drink a New England-style kombucha. Softer, less acidic, and truly enjoyable. Our kombucha is naturally effervescent and boasts full-bodied flavor. Fieldstone crafts the best seasonal flavors. When we tell you there's... Hold on a second. Zylo's going nuts. What are you doing? want some kombucha. Oh, my goodness. Sorry, I apologize. Let me take that back a line. Fieldstone 
crafts the best seasonal flavors. When we tell you there's blueberries in our baby bandit flavor, it nearly turns your tongue blue. Women owned and operated, we brew in Rhode Island using whole locally sourced ingredients. Fieldstone kombucha is the perfect replenishing drink after a day on the slopes or a trek in the woods. It's chock full of probiotics and healthy acids to keep you in top form. Find us at Biederman's in Plymouth, Mad River Coffee House in Campton, the, the Concord Food Co-op, and more. Check out our website for the full list of New Hampshire and New England-wide locations. Use code SLASHER, S-L-A-S-R, on our website for 10% off an online order shipped straight to your door. Fieldstonekombucha.com. Great. And so when you go to Mad River Coffee... Um is it just like a? I've never been there. So is it a sit down place where you is they have retail where you can buy like a four pack or a six pack of kombucha? No, no, you can buy them individually. Individually, yeah. okay. It's it's like a coffee shop with uh, you know bakery goods, uh, egg okay. sandwiches, heavy duty coffees, several flavors of coffee, and you can sit down and eat or just take it to go. They do music. Oh, cool. It's a great spot. It's really nice. It's yeah, Starbucks absolutely. style coffee too. It's very very strong okay all right nice well i gotta check mm. it out and i'm gonna get myself a kombucha when i get in there yeah good yeah absolutely Stomp, um, what is your wor- what is your biggest fear in life? Hmm, my biggest fear, probably or the most the scariest way for you to die. <laughs> probably drowning. I would say drowning. Drowning. I, I would say like getting eaten by an animal, like a alligator or hippopotamus or like a lion or something like that. And then mm-hmm. right behind that is like getting stuck and. Or in like a small confined like area or something like that. So <laughs> this first story is a emergency responders work to rescue a hiker stuck between rocks on Bishop Peak. So this is in California. Another. Yeah, huh. I don't think I would want to ever be stuck. That would freak me out. So emergency responders were <laughs> attempting to rescue a hiker who became trapped between two rocks on Bishop Peak in San Luis Obispo on Saturday evening. How can I say San Luis Obispo, but I can't say Ojiachuk? <laughs> I get a joke. <laughs> yes, I don't know. Uh, a call for aid was made to Bishop Peak uh, around 4.15 that afternoon. Fire department chief uh, said a 40-year-old woman was hiking along with her dog when she slipped and fell at the top of the mountain and became wedged between two rocks and was unable to get out. Oh, hmm. my God. That would freak me out. Um, she's a 40 year old woman. She only spoke Spanish. So initially it was a little bit difficult, but uh, there was a helicopter that was able to airlift a member of the county's urban search and rescue team to the top of the mountain where they were able to translate and help coordinate resources. So, um, they were able to get to her by five 30. So that's pretty good. Within an hour, they got a helicopter out there. Once she was removed from the rocks, he said the crew would uh, probably walk her back down the mountain since the helicopter would no longer be operational after dark. They said that the woman was not hurt. They said four crews were on scene from the fire department uh, to help out there. So 
It's pretty good. They got an urban search and rescue team. So I bet you they do a lot of like um, dementia walk-offs and stuff like that. Yeah, I suppose. I'm just really curious how how she was lodged in there and how they got her out and how she couldn't have gotten herself out. I mean, did they have to use tools, pneumatic tools? Or I don't know. It's very strange. I, I wish they had I those always, details. Yeah, I mean, I imagine they maybe put a rope under her armpits and pulled her up or something, but who knows? Yeah, who knows? Wow. My biggest fear is like getting lodged like that, but like upside down. <laughs> Head first between oh the rocks. Oh, my God. Oh, I can't even think about it. I can't even. I'm moving on. Okay. <laughs> biggest nightmare. Biggest nightmare. All right. So this is a uh, this is a story out of Italy. A uh, 45-year-old Italian hiker was swept away by an avalanche on Mount Sorrenti in Abruzzo. Around 4 p.m. I tell you, by the way, speaking of Italy, my daughter was supposed to go to Italy to do studies overseas, and I was all excited that I was going to go climb the mountains in uh, yeah. uh, the Dolomites, and she got rejected from the program. Oh, <laughs> so your dreams are dashed. Crushed. Crushed. Oh, now she's like, I'm going to go to London. I'm like, what well, am I going to London? <laughs> I'm going to go to a city. <laughs> so... Um, not her fault. It's just a lottery. Like it's a popular place, and like they sure, pick from sure. a lottery, and she she didn't get in, so she didn't do anything. So she doesn't well, listen to the show. But don't it's, it's don't a- say I said she got rejected. <laughs> um, I sh- we should delete that. It's a we, hop, we just- skip, and a jump over to uh, Scotland. The Highlands. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. So that could be worth it. Could be, could be. She'll wait in here if she gets to London, so she may not get anything. I don't want to deal with that drama. But anyway, so back to Italy, <laughs> avalanche. 45-year-old Italian hiker was swept away by an avalanche. Unfortunately, um, he did not survive this. So oh. uh, rescue call in came in from fellow hikers. Uh, they immediately sent a helicopter to the scene. Um, there was a doctor on board, and um, they were able to locate the victim but unfortunately his condition immediately appeared critical and the doctor on board who had um, landed on the spot could do no more than confirm his death so there's operations as a follow-up underway to recover the body and his fellow mountaineers mm-hmm. uh, by ground rescue teams at this point so the helicopter just sort of did what it could do but they, they just said like he's dead and we're moving on gotcha well that's a shame yeah it can happen anywhere dude really can well, Shocking. I mean, avalanche, avalanche territory only. Yep. So, mm. uh, this next one's in Colorado Springs. So, a hiker suffered frostbite and other injuries after becoming stranded in the backcountry on a dangerous cold morning. The, there's a photo here of them getting lifted out there on a pretty steep cliff here. Let me um, check this out. Cheyenne Cannon, right? Yeah, North Cheyenne Cannon, just before seven oh, wow. Saturday morning. So, they must have been out. It was around two degrees. The yeah. person was stuck on steep terrain and unable to move after hiking in the cold. So they used dr- drones. There you go. To locate the hiker, and they found him on a rocky ledge in the canyon and immediately got to work setting up a rope system. Yeah. So um, it took about two and a half hours to get him out, and there was some, some firefighters involved that were suffering cold exposure symptoms. Um, so they were able to be treated on the scene. You know what they needed, Stomp? What's that? was uh, my daughter's boyfriend's Christmas gift of electric hand warmers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that would have been That's all set. Awesome. And so the hiker was rescued, transported to the hospital, and I guess there's an Arctic front. You know how we get those polar vortexes? Mm-hmm. 
in in Colorado they get Arctic fronts. Yeah. What I find interesting about this is that they used um, fire department versus a volunteer team. I'm not familiar with this area, but I'm assuming there are teams throughout the region. But uh, yeah, I mean Colorado Springs, so it's like a, um, a city area, I guess. So yeah. I mean, it's right near the mountains, but maybe maybe they just it was so, accessible enough where so they more, could get the firefighters. More front country than back country. Yeah, yeah, stepping okay. on the backcountry territory there. <laughs> right. Um, this is another one. I feel like, did we do this? Maybe we didn't. Um, so hikers run out of food and water as iPhones die 11,000 feet up this volcano. So this was a mess. Huh. This was, um, I apologize. January I feel 17th. like we did this story, but maybe we didn't. Um, it's the 17th. Okay. Maybe it's different. Yeah. Um, two hikers got lost 11,000 feet up a freezing volcano in Hawaii without food or water. Uh, sounds new, uh, maybe new uh, maybe I'm thinking with, we've heard this story before because this happens all the time in Hawaii. Um, <laughs> but they were trapped overnight in severe winter storm that closed the peak of Mauna Loa. Wow, eleven thousand. Um, yeah, so the, basically they said above ten anything above ten thousand feet you can't go. They were at eleven thousand feet, so they ah. called nine one one on Sunday saying they were freezing. You know what they were uh, doing? Phone, they were pulling up Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> They were pulling a Pierce Brosnan, that's right, Mr. Entitled. So they did a search and rescue operation via helicopter, and they flew to around 11,000 feet on the road. They found them. They landed so a ranger could check on the hikers, but the high elevation and dangerous gusting winds made it too risky for them to fly off the volcano. So the Mm -hmm. ranger gave the hikers food, water, and a satellite phone and told them to hike on to the nearest shelter and get out on their own. So that's wow. that's tough. So they that's land the helicopter. The guy gets out. He's like, here's some <clears> stuff, <throat> and then I'm going back on the helicopter and see you later. <laughs> wow. I love so, it. I love it. That's, that's, that's a good incentive to not do that type of thing, right? But wait, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they got food. They got water. They got a satellite phone, and they're moving on their way. So just after sunset, the hikers texted the ranger that they had lost the trail there <laughs> 10,300 feet in the fall weather. So they made it down 700 feet and they got lost again. They were like, we need another rescue. So the pilot wasn't able to fly the helicopter safely in the dark. So the rescuers had to wait until Monday to fly up there again. And eventually they just took them off the mountain this time. So two helicopter rescues and one, one event. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Search and rescue can be fun. Yeah, extremely grueling 10.2 mile hike is not for everybody. And by everybody, they definitely mean these two hikers. Mm-hmm. Um, hikers are urged to be prepared and know their limits. So I guess they were with two other companions that they separated, and those people got in trouble too. So all four hikers were cited for hiking the volcano without a permit. Hmm. Yeah, the old Paris Brosnan effect. It's spreading, it's a syndrome. I got to imagine like the search and rescue, I mean, actually most search and rescue people, I, you know, like they, they don't think this way, but I feel like the, the locals in Hawaii must just roll their eyes when, when the tourists get in trouble like this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Did you oh, hear about boy. the rescue? <laughs> oh boy. Climbing above 10,000 feet. All right, so this next one, Kentucky college students are rescued after a winter storm leaves them stranded on a mountain peak. There's a good video with this one I'll include in the 
uh, show notes. So this was a group of college kids from Asbury College, and they they hiked up. They were going to do an adventure, and then they got up on the summit, and they were like, nah, this isn't good. Uh-huh. And they decided to call for a rescue. Helicopter was able to land on the summit, and then they were able to, I think it was like four of them, but it's a pretty cool video of the helicopter landing. And then all the students are like, for some reason, they're hiding in like these bushes. <clears throat> I don't know why, but um, uh-huh. you don't see them initially. And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, look at all these humans that are in the bushes, <laughs> and they, they come out. Unbelievable. So what's dangerous about this place? Do we have good pictures in there or no? Um, The the students were camping and they underestimated the weather and they were stuck on this dangerous snow-covered mountain. Wow. Um, Gorge Rock. Sounds pretty gnarly. Yeah, they just, I guess they just felt like um, because it was like an icy, rocky face and wind... In snow that they just felt like um, it would be safer to um, to just take them off the mountain via the helicopter. Hmm. Hmm. All right. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, this this is next nice one story. here. This takes us back to Honolulu. Uh, <laughs> this was rescuers rappelled down a mountain slope about two hundred feet. Um, after a barking dog had caught the attention of bystanders and uh, they eventually found the owner trapped a couple hundred feet down a trail. So yeah. there was a hiker on Lanipo Trail in Kamuki near Honolulu saying that there was a random dog running around barking at the edge of a, ste- a steep slope. Mm-hmm. So rescue crews were dispatched. They went to go save the dog. Uh, and then once they were able to spot the dog, they got a they got a rescue to rappel down about twenty feet to retrieve it. And then from there, uh, one of the pilots that was overseeing it noticed that there was another object about fifty feet down. So after they got the dog to safety, they decided like to start looking around to do a safety check for the dog's owner because they were able to track the owner based on the dog's collar. And That's when awesome. the owner. Yeah, the owner didn't answer, so then they checked the parking lot. They found the owner's vehicle, and then they went back to that spot and found a 35-year-old woman underneath thick foliage about 100 feet below where the bag was found. So um, I guess she was injured. They provided basic life support before taking her into a rescue stretcher and airlifting her to safety. So that's that's pretty fortunate. Yeah, so let's let's, (laughs) – this is an interesting one. To cover, um, yeah, it's like there's a detective work going on well, at the same time. Yeah, it's wild because it's it's the dog that triggers the call, mm-hmm. and a whole troop of rescuers go out because of a dog. So I'm assuming it means that they they're familiar with this this scenario that if there's a dog barking on a trail, then it probably means there's somebody else nearby. No, I think they just care help. about dogs in Hawaii more than they do in in New Hampshire. And they like just will rescue a dog. And <laughs> well, I then, didn't want to say that, but that's the yeah. other option for sure. Like yeah. sending out a gigantic crew to, to get a dog is, is unusual at, at best. I would say you send a crew out to get a dog over a human a lot of times. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. I think a lot of my listeners would agree. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know what their pups. policy is if they... if. If they were like, you know, hey, maybe there's a hiker attached to the dog. Yeah, look at that. They found her 100 feet below, underneath thick foliage. Interesting. 
Yeah. She but, must have been like injured or something because if like I heard yeah. all that commotion with a helicopter and my dog bar, I'd be like, hey, what about me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's a nice story. Yeah, so here's a not nice story that comes local here in Mount Monadnock. Three hikers rescued from frigid conditions. So this happened um, on Friday night. So three lost hikers were rescued Friday night from frigid conditions on Mount Monadnock. I love Mount Monadnock on a Friday night hike, Mm -hmm. not in the winter. Okay. Pretty gnarly. um, The hikers were described by Fishing Game as unprepared for the impending darkness and cold weather. Wind chill dropped on the mountain Friday evening to minus 10 degrees. Wow. Monadnock Park staff had to call Fishing Game... And the rescuers called the hel- the hikers to help find the trail and get below tree line. I guess they had no lights with them, so they couldn't really go anywhere. So yeah. eventually they were able to make contact and give them gear to help with the ascent. Um, it was a 50-year-old person from Quincy, a 37-year-old person from Thailand, and then a 63-year-old woman from Quincy, Mass. The woman was in poor condition and had to be carried about a mile and a half to the trailhead and um, taken via ambulance to the hospital. So, okay, I don't know what they were thinking, but they weren't um, weren't prepared to be out there at night on Mount Monadnock. Yeah, the picture here looks like they they set up a a, a, a bivy, one of those um, expandable uh, shelters to keep them warm while they uh, were getting ready to carry them. That's pretty cool. Yeah, one of those like bothy bags or whatever they're called. Yeah, looks like, yeah, that's right, bothy. Looks like a bothy. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's like, you have to make the decision, like if you, what you want to carry, you carry one of those bothy bags, you can carry like a field bivy, or you can carry like one of those cheap solo bivvies that you can get at REI. Yeah. Like when I was in, when I did Owl's Head, I had my 20 degree bag, I had uh, my sleeping pad, and then I had that like cheap bivy, which. You know, if I had to lay down, I wouldn't be super comfortable, but I, I wouldn't. I'd be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. All right. And then, last but not least, our friend Ginger Ginger Beard Keen had sent this over to us. So there's a group of skiers and snowboarders. Twenty one skiers and snowboarders rescued from Killington's backcountry Saturday. So um, six of the missing kids were juveniles. So those juveniles up to no good. But two dozen people rescued this weekend after they got lost while navigating the backcountry at Killington. Um, you know, are you really a, a, a skier or a snowboarder if you don't go out of bounds every once in a while, Stomp? <laughs> True. Right? I mean, 21. On. Yeah, give them a break. 21. So I read yeah. somewhere else they said that, like, there was some ski instructors that were actually involved in this and essentially, like, I think somebody was going out of bounds. Somebody said, oh, let's look. I'll follow them. And then a whole group of um, a whole group of them ended up finding each other. So they all stuck together, which was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And um, eventually they were notified of like seven to nine lost ski or snowboarders in the backcountry. This is a Saturday afternoon. Yeah. So Killington officers spoke with Vermont State Police Search and Rescue and uh, they discovered there was actually 21 lost individuals at the time. So 12 members from Killington Search and Rescue Team went into the woods where they spent the next several hours hiking, snowshoeing, and skiing over five miles in frigid temperatures. So once the rescued individuals were found and brought out of the woods, they warmed up in Killington's Fire Department's heavy rescue truck along with team members, 
personal cars while waiting for their rides home. So wow. a call came in from two more lost skiers just as the team was ready to clear the scene. So mm. um, kudos to them because um, I guess they cleared everyone up by 7.30 at night. But yeah, everyone took a wrong turn at Killington. I don't go out of bounds anymore, Stomp. I, I don't. I used to do that. I don't do that anymore. I don't. I don't ski anymore. I, I miss it. I got to get out there again. But it's supposed to be a good season so far. It's Jimmy Chaga's been getting out of Waterville, right down the street. Yeah, yeah, he sure has been. Him yeah. and Little Chaga. But <laughs> Little Chaga. <laughs> hey, listen. I know there's four snowmobile things here, but you have to read the one about the cable. You have to read this one. Oh, this yeah, is yeah, yeah. so interesting. I think I might change my way to go, like drowning. I'm going to change it to this. This is, this is pretty wild. Yeah, yeah. So Saturday, January 20th um, at 8.40 p.m. The Can- Is it Canaan? How do you, how do you pronounce it? I, I believe it's Canaan. Canaan. C-A-N-A-A. C-A-N-A-A-N. Canaan yeah, Police Department. Uh, fishing game, bunch of people. Uh, mm. Operator identified uh, as a 22-year-old from Canaan, New Hampshire, had been riding a snowmobile with a friend. They had ridden to Clark Pond where we were trying to access Gore Road via private property. Unfortunately, the rider was unaware that there was a cable across the road he was riding on. Oh. He ran into the cable at speed, which caused him to be thrown from the snowmobile. Um, Unbelievable. Yeah, That's his friend was crazy. able to access like the road and make a 911 call, but serious yeah. injuries and charges are pending for the rider. So not only did he get absolutely Shredded. wrecked by a cable, but um, he also is going to get charged for illegally riding off trail without written consent of the landowner. Wow. So riders got to stay on trail. So this is brutal. The landowner puts a cable on the over this kid runs That's into it now the kid's going to get charged so the landowner has no um liability no liability here true yeah it's not like a uh like a, a a trap or something like an explosive to go off to kill you if you go into the property it's just a, a common gate yeah very yeah. interesting well we when we were kids we used to ride dirt bikes a lot so i grew up in north reading mass but Back then, it was much more rural, and you had, like, these woods, and you could ride dirt bikes, and there was always, like, these urban legends about, like, oh, so-and-so found, like, a cable struck across. Because people get mad because they make a lot of noise, and it was always, like, we'd always talk about, like, oh, you know, you always got to look out for, you know, residents that put cables across the trails because they're going to they're gonna injure you. And sure. it would always be, like, somebody knew somebody who knew somebody that got, like, their head chopped off by a cable. Right. So those are the basic rules. That's why they yeah. stress always stay on trail. Yeah. You just never know. Yeah. And so. speed is um, always, yeah. you got to pay attention to your speed. Although I don't think yeah. you have to be going that fast to get really injured by a cable if you don't see it. True. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, unforgiving. Couple of other ones. Snowmobile needs a rescue. Injured snowmobiler. Yeah, um, it is the season. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was a fatality, unfortunately. Not a lot of details, um, but there yeah. was a Massachusetts um, renter um, that was killed in a crash in Berlin. Yep. And this happened on Tuesday. So this week, the the driver was on corridor 12 and basically was going straight. They had a passenger behind or, or on the back of the, the snowmobile, and she failed to make a right-hand turn, and it appeared that she didn't even attempt to make the turn, so she may not have seen it. Um, 
you know, apparently she was, um, you know, she rented from Gorham and uh, it's believed that the victim had limited or no previous snowmobiling experience. So, yeah, I don't know. That's a tough one. Um, Tough one. I think they're dangerous. ATV rentals, snowmobiles, if you don't have experience, like go with a guide, I guess. I don't know, Stomp. You know better than I do. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, power power vehicles like this, it's always inherently dangerous getting on these things. If you don't have any experience, it's probably best to get a guide for something like that. Yeah. Um, it, it's, you know, I'm, I'm pretty fortunate. These guys that I work with, they really never rent to newbies. You have to have some experience for sure before you do that. So that's yeah. that's a shame. Yeah, no, I would, I would, I don't think. I mean, I've ridden snowmobiles, I've ridden dirt bikes, I've ridden quads for a long time. I don't think I would even go out. I, I would wouldn't want to go out in a snowmobile without a guide or at least somebody that knows what they're doing. Mm. Yeah, tis the season. Tis the season. Stomp. It's always sad to hear about fatalities, but uh, you know, it's it's a risk. Everything about life is a risk at this point. But um, yeah. You know, we learned a lot this show. We got we had some high moments, some fun moments, some sad moments, but mm-hmm. um, we'll close it out with uh, with a goodbye, and then we'll see everybody next week. All righty, see you then. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until then, on behalf of Mike and Stump, get out there and crush some mega peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fishing game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots, and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Neeland of New Hampshire Fishing Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared. I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.